Welcome back to Kings of Columbus, Doug Lamaris, Bill Landis. Landis, we're diving into football. Sometimes there's too much chit-chat at the beginning of podcasts. It's like, hey, how's your <laughs> life? No one cares about our lives. They care about this game, Ohio State at Notre Dame on Saturday night. We sent a call out to our tech subscribers. We have about 17 rapid-fire questions where we're going to dive in on the answers a little bit, more like four or five-minute answers. Then we have like another 20 or so where we're going to go like one-minute answers, and then we'll do what you're watching, what you're eating, what you're thinking at the end. Are you ready to really dig in on Ohio State Notre Dame football? Yes, I love these weeks. Let's do it. Let's do it. Number one. This is from our friend Heather. The Ryan Day game plan features in your survey quite a bit. Guess what? We have a survey we're going to talk about with our tech subscribers as well. Um, this is the question. Do you think a new starting quarterback will make Ryan Day more conservative? Or do you think he'll aim for a more aggressive plan to take advantage of the talent advantage on offense? That's Heather in Columbus. She's making a comparison again in the rest of her question. Sort of Notre Dame game last year, conservative. Georgia game, aggressive. How do you think Ryan Day is going to play this? Uh, try, try to strike a balance, I think, which maybe is a lame answer, but but I, I actually do think that's the case. I, I don't think he's going to you know, let Kyle McCord drop back and throw 30 35 yard passes down the field. You know what I mean? I, I, I maybe he, maybe Kyle can do that, but I don't, I don't think Ryan Day wants to put him in that kind of position. So I think they are going to try to have their playmakers carry them, whatever that looks like. And, and I, I guess in some way that can be aggressive, right? Um, it's not just turning around, handing the ball off the Travion Henderson every time, but they've done a lot of stuff here the last few weeks where, whether it's like run pass options or pass pass options with Kyle McCord that are like simple reads and not asking him to do a whole lot. It's just get the ball into Marvin's hands or Emeka's hands or Travion's hands as quickly as possible and like let them be explosive because they just are. So and I and I think in that way you can be aggressive. Um you are if you're if you're making a point to target those players and and you know, design things to get them in space. I think that is aggressive. I don't. I don't know that aggressive necessarily has to, has to mean bombing it down the field the whole time. So, um, I think he will lean a little more toward aggressive, but try to find a middle ground. I do think is aggressive and conservative. Is that just pass game, run game? Is that how fans? That's probably the shorthand. Yeah, think of it because I just double checked the stats. Right, I, people know this. You know it. Uh, anecdotally, you know it in your heart and in your gut, and you also know it if you went back and rewatched the game. Georgia game, Ohio State, 44 dropbacks, 22 runs. So that's like two to one. Mm -hmm. 66% of the time, they're dropping back thinking they want to pass. For instance, in the Michigan game last year, when it was still close before Notre, uh, Michigan got ahead 31-20 in the second half, all the drives before that, it was 30 dropbacks, and we say drop backs instead of passes because sometimes you drop back and there's nothing there and then the quarterback gets sacked or has to run, but it still was intended to be a pass play. 30 dropbacks, 24 runs mm -hmm. when it was like a game in the balance, right? So that's 56% pass plays. And then once they got behind and they were behind two scores, it was 20 pass plays and three runs. So like the final stat total, on how much they threw it and ran against Michigan kind of looks the same at Georgia, but it didn't feel the same, right? And so I think when Ohio State fans think conservative, and I think I believe this too, it's sort of like how often do you come out and just hand it off up the middle on first on first down? Yep. Yeah, I think that's probably right. And it's like, oh, you got two or three yards. Now it's second and eight. And now what do you do? Or on first down, are you 
running little crossing routes? Are you flipping it to a Mecca on a jet sweep? Are you doing an RPO? Is is first down play calling indicative when it comes to whether Ryan Day is going to be aggressive or not? Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm actually trying to do math on the fly here. So once you start talking, I'm going to count because I chart all of their runs. I want to count how many of them are first down um, after I make this point. But uh, yeah, I think I think that'll tell you, I think, more or less what Ryan Day wants to do in this game. Um, the other thing I think to consider is, like I, I mentioned, I might end up talking about RPOs a lot during the show because they are doing them a fair amount. Um, when they ran RPOs with CJ Stroud, CJ like always threw the ball. Didn't yeah. matter, <laughs> did, did, did matter what the key was. If you gave him the option to throw, there was no other option. Uh, Kyle so far has actually handed the ball off when when it makes sense to do so. So that might lead to an uptick in run calls, but I don't know that that is inherently conservative. And Ryan, regardless of the outcome of, of an RPO, Ryan would consider that a run play anyway, yes. right? Yep. So I think Ryan secretly likes that too. It's like, hey, no, it counts as a run play. Like if Justin Fries and they're like, man, we got to run. He's like, hey, we ran an RPO. It's not my fault that CJ is a 94% thrower on RPOs. So I, I, I think we'll get more into RPOs because there's a, a long Kyle McCord, Sam Hartman discussion later in this podcast and, and a search for something with Kyle McCord. I think RPOs are part of that. I have to say I have some unbelievable stats that I think I, I found something hidden within the Ohio State resume brought up by a great question from a tech subscriber. And then after I did like 45 minutes of research on it, I found out that it was irrelevant for this game. So that will be very typical Doug podcasting later in this show. We also have some Mike Hall stuff. Does Ryan Day or Marcus Freeman need it more? I know you've already talked about that, but I want to chime in on that. A comparison to the 2021 Oregon game, um, Notre Dame speed, Notre Dame scheme, Josh Simmons, Tommy Eichenberg, Audric Estime, all kinds of stuff. JT Tuimoloa that we're going to get to, but up first is the second question. This can is from I, our guy, Seth. Can I dump my stat real quick? I'm just, I'm just counting that. Yeah, yeah so, dump your stat. I'm going to add that to the playlist. Dump yeah. your stat. So I, I chart all of their, like, first team offense runs and i just did this quickly in my head so if it's off by a number or two please forgive me but i have them at 70 runs through the first three games with with the first team offense and 40 of them are on first down that's a pretty big amount. that feels like a lot right <laughs> yeah yeah so i guess i understand it because in the you know ryan day all coaches want to stay ahead of the sticks you want to stay on schedule and if you throw an incomplete pass on first down you're behind the sticks immediately but it feels like they get behind the sticks with the run game a decent amount of the time too where if you get two yards or one yard on first down now you're kind of behind not doing your best thing yeah they are and i think that was that was definitely the case i think probably in, in the indiana game just if i'm remembering correctly but on the season at this point they are averaging uh over six yards of carry on first down really yeah okay now I want to go back and look at all 40 carries, though, and see like how many are, you know, because you drop, you rip off a 19-yard carry on first down, and it affects the average. But Well, Chip, yeah, like Chip Train almost touchdown last week was a 40-yard touchdown on a one-play drive, right? So that helps. Right. Okay. We'll dig more into that. I think there's, there's some other things I want to watch for this game that I want to bring the analysis to the betting show when we get to that later in the week. But for now, we're taking more questions, and we're going to Seth. If Ryan Day was true to his word and didn't want to send a first-year quarterback to the Wolves like he said he did to C.J. Stroud, 
Did the Western Kentucky game signify taking off the training wheels and the Notre Dame game will feature the offense on full display? And let me do one more that's kind of coupled with this. This is from our guy, Arj Sarge. My angst with this game is more about which Buckeyes team we see. If they had laid an egg in week one and then week two and three looked like they did against Western Kentucky in week three, I'd be talking smack to all the my Notre Dame fans. Instead, I'm staying quiet and holding my breath because I think right weeks one and two were a little iffy and there's only one game of looking good. Are, was this a buildup? I think both what Seth and Arj Sarge are getting to, Landis, is were the first two games sort of like preseason? Western Kentucky was the unveiling, and now Notre Dame is building on what we saw against Western Kentucky. Is that how fans should think of this? Yeah, that's that's kind of how I'm thinking it. I, I know, and we've talked a little bit about that on on various shows here. My point to that has always been, I am not saying that as a means of excusing some poor play at times in the first two games, but I, and like you want to be more, you want to be efficient all the time, regardless of what your plan is. Um, but I do think that's right. I think I think there has been a, a ramp up to this, um, a, uh, you know, including the fact that he named Kyle the full time starter before the Western Kentucky game. When I, maybe he necessarily did not have to, but I think he did that with an eye toward the Notre Dame game. I do feel like the fact that this matchup is two teams that have played for almost a month now. This is Notre Dame's fifth game. It's Ohio State's fourth game makes it significantly different than opening with each other last year. I know like Gene Smith hated that that game was in week one last year. And, and Ryan Day wants like an actual college preseason. I don't think anybody at Ohio State wants their best game in week one. So this and, and Notre Dame was a completely new program with Marcus Freeman. So whatever Ohio State didn't know a year ago, Notre Dame knew even less. But I do think on both sides, we get a more fully formed team that knows itself and knows each other better and i think that's going to lead to better football do, do you think that's the case yeah i do and they're actually like if you think about it they're almost their paths here are, are they're not exactly mirrored but they are fairly similar notre dame has played one more game but like notre dame's defense got to go against a triple option and sort of like test its its ability to remain focused in that way against navy ohio state kind of got the same against indiana um Notre Dame has played some tune-up games against Central Michigan and Tennessee State, and and Ohio State got them against Youngstown State and and Western Kentucky. The difference is that like Notre Dame has played a probably like a more more serious Power Five team. I don't know. I guess it would depend on how you what you think of NC State as compared to Indiana. Maybe they're more similar than I'm giving it credit for. But the the variance in the teams they've seen on their path here, I think, has helped them both. I think that's right. I think this is going to be good. It might it last year was a little clunky, but I think this might be difficult at times, but not because a team is incompetent and incompetent is a harsh word is not ready to do it. It's because the other team is ready to stop it and understands mm -hmm. them more. It's, it's, it's why maybe something won't work. All right, yeah. let's go to number three. This is our guy, Eric in Atlanta. Do you think a hot start favors Notre Dame or Ohio State more? If Ohio State jumps out to a 14-0 lead, it takes the crowd out and forces Sam Hartman to throw the ball more against an elite secondary. If Notre Dame jumps out 14-0, it forces an inexperienced quarterback into unfamiliar territory and a hostile environment. I personally think a, heart, a hot start favors Notre Dame much more, but I wanted to get your thoughts. I agree with that. I do think it's more important for Notre Dame to get going because I think I do think with the Ohio State playmakers, 
you're still right. You're one slant to a Mecca and a broken tackle away from a 70 yard touchdown sort of at any moment of the game. I feel like if Notre Dame gets ahead two scores, it locks in everything they want to do, which is run and then take a deep shot after it and be patient with that. If Notre Dame's behind, then I think they're, they maybe are going to have to throw more, not off of action, just throw. And then I think that's not going to be as effective for them. But I think Sam Hartman with the two-score lead behind an offensive line he believes believes in sort of surveying the field, deciding when to take a shot every 10 or 12 plays, I think that would be a very difficult spot for, for Ohio State. So I think a Notre Dame lead here is is much more effective and substantive to how the game would unfold. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with any of that, but I also I can't get out of my head like throughout Ryan Day's tenure, Ohio State has probably been like the best front running team in college football. Like if they get up by two touchdowns, they're going to be up by four touchdowns in five like the next 5 to 10 minutes. Yep. They're just they're just so good at pouring it on teams like that once it gets rolling. We saw it last week against Western Kentucky. So, I, I think you're right. Like it, Notre Dame's Game script is probably more dependent on being ahead. Like it, it probably matters more to them to be ahead in this game at a certain point if they can get up by two scores. Because I, I do think even with an inexperienced quarterback, Ohio State is probably more equipped to operate from behind just with their in, inherent explosiveness. Like Notre Dame has been explosive, but I don't know. I don't know. Like if in a game where they're down a couple scores and need to throw it around to get back into it, I don't, I don't know if they're quite built for that. Uh, aside from maybe Sam Hartman and their tackles, but like, do they have the skill to do it? I, I don't know. Um, so if they can get like two sustained drives early, punch it into the end zone while Ohio State's still trying to like adapt to a, a raucous road environment, um, I do think that is a situation that would favor Notre Dame. I've, clearly they'd be up, but I think like just that's that general idea. I think is more favorable to Notre Dame than it is to Ohio State. But you know, I'm not, if I'm Notre Dame, I don't want to be, I don't want to be on the other end of the Ryan Day offensive machine getting rolling because we've seen what that looks like before. I do think if Notre Dame is going to be explosive, it's going to be explosive out of confidence, not explosive out of desperation. So if they're in an early hole, I think it just takes them out of who they want to be a little bit mm-hmm. more. All right, number four, our guy Joseph in Atlanta. He just wants fill-in-the-blank answers here. If Ohio State wins big, it will be because blank. If Ohio State loses big, it will be because blank. And the key to the game is blank. If Ohio State wins big, it will be because what, Landis? Ooh. um, Probably that this defense is, like, truly elite. Because I think Ohio State is going to score. Um, So it's a matter of of how many points Ohio State's defense can keep off the board to, to I think, lead to a blowout. So I, I I think they're good. Like, I thought they were going to be good coming into this year, right? And so far, they've backed that up. This is a totally different test. But I think if this game is truly lopsided, it's because this defense is, is not just good. It is, in fact, great to elite. I still think it's because Notre Dame, they have some good guys in the secondary, right? But just like Notre Dame can't handle their playmakers, which I, is sort of yeah. my, is probably what I say, for every northern game that just that's what sets the separate that's always the separator for Ohio State all the other things all the other football that defense just can't handle the explosiveness of Ohio State and when you can score um in 10 seconds that really changes the game if Ohio State loses big what is it Landis fill in that blank 
if Ohio State loses big, I think it's because their offensive line just unravels. Okay. And I was going to say it's that Sam Hartman just feels like he has all day to do whatever he wants. He's never under pressure from Ohio State. And at some point, no secondary can cover if you have six seconds to figure it out. And so that yeah. if, if there's, and then Ohio State gets into a place where they're not getting any pressure on Sam Hartman. Now they get desperate. Now they blitz. Now they take chances. Now there are breakdowns. And now Notre Dame's hitting some freebies because. Jim Knowles is like, we've got to do something here. So I think both sides of the ball make sense. What the key, fill in the blank on the key to this game is blank. I think what you just said, um, Ohio State's ability to affect Sam Hartman. And I think it could be a difficult test for the ends against these Notre Dame tackles. But I, I think there could be some vulnerabilities in the middle of the offensive line for Notre Dame where like maybe like Mike Hall becomes perhaps Ohio State's most important player in this game. Yeah. I, I think it's that Ohio State able to get pressure on Sam Hartman without taking too many risks in the process mm-hmm. of getting some consistent pressure. I do I do think that's the key. Sort of lumped in with this with our guy Alex. If this game gets completely out of hand, what do you see the reason being? Again, it's just, you know, most of the time to me when things get out of hand, it's because the Ohio State receivers make it get out of hand. So yeah. I still think – and Notre Dame – Notre Dame's, I think, receiving core is better than it has been. It's on the way, right? I think they're going to start getting receivers there. This is a key to all of Northern football, Landis, is that Northern teams are going to have to figure out the quarterback thing, and you can feel teams starting to do that. Michigan's done that. Penn State's trying to do that. Um, I think Wisconsin's going to go about trying to do it. I'm not sure they actually have yet this year, but then all those teams are going to have to couple it with a leveling up of explosive receivers. And that's, I don't think teams are there yet. Now, Penn yeah. State over time has had guys there, right? I don't, I don't know that they do right now. They, they don't. Um, Michigan needs to level up there. Notre Dame needs to level up there. But that's sort of like the secondary part. Once you start getting guys who can throw it, well, first is an attitude. We are going to throw. We're not going to do three yards in a cloud of dust. We're not going to worry about snow in November. We're going to play aggressive football and throw the ball like you have to do to win now. That's one. Attitude first. Attitude begets quarterbacks, and then I think quarterbacks beget receivers. And I don't know that anybody in the North, Washington, Washington is for sure, outside of Ohio State and Washington are there with the receiver core yet. Yeah. And then that remains the thing to me that this that's the single thing that blows games open that Ohio State has that other teams don't. I agree with that. Um, and I, I do like talking. I did a show with um, I think I did. did I do that? Yeah, I did a show with Pete Sampson, the Notre Dame writer from the athletic prior to the season sometime in August talking about this game. And and throughout the entire offseason, like I very much got the sense that Notre Dame was very high on the potential for their receiver core this year, just com- especially compared to the last few years. I don't know that I've seen it on, on the, on the games yet or in the games yet through, through these first four weeks, but um, I think the potential is there, but I don't, I don't look at that group and see a, a dangerous group yet. When I was doing shows this summer, my partner Shahan on the college football survivor show just talked about Jaden Greathouse every episode. Yeah. And he's a tech, Shahan's in Texas. He's a receiver from Texas. And then Jaden Greathouse uh, caught a touchdown in Notre Dame's opener. And Shahan was like, I told you. And it, but like, that's how it has to start. 
Like he's not there all the way yet. He's a true freshman. Like they're leaning on some young guys, but at least they're trying. Like it's like, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba light, like that, that kind of, who was the Penn State guy that should have stayed in school that, that went um, um, this past year? Why can't I? Parker, Parker, Washington. Uh, Parker, Washington. Parker Washington was a Texas guy and was really good. And, was really effective in Penn State's pass game. Like, the, the, you know, these Northern teams have to do, go dip down where the receivers are, Texas or Georgia or Florida or California or whatever, and find some of these guys. And so that Notre Dame started to do that is a big step for them, but I don't think it's going to get them over the top on Saturday. All right, quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Ohio State traveling fans, not players. We're not talking about unpacking your suitcase as a player and getting in the stadium. Hmm. What will the crowd be like from an Ohio State standpoint next on Kings of Columbus? He's Bill Landis. I'm Doug Maurice. We are talking about Ohio State Notre Dame, and we're doing it with the help of our text subscribers, 614-662-4509. That's how you test out whether you want to get the texts. You take your phone. You send a text to that phone number, 614-662-4509. You get a link back to sign up. You put in your name. You give the credit card info. I'm not going to like lie to you. You got to put in the credit card info, but you don't get charged for two weeks. And so we've had people now in for more than two weeks. The vast majority of people, when they try it, they stick around. <clears throat> but we also, Landis, we see people leaving. We can see that. And we can see people that's like, hey, they left at day 13. They left at day 14. Maybe it wasn't for them. They tried it out, but they didn't get charged. So yeah. it's a good way to try it. It is, yeah. I know I like uh, it's it's very easy. Like a lot of times you do stuff like this and like actually getting out of the thing perhaps you're not interested in is exceedingly difficult. This is super easy. Just text the word stop. Justin, when Georgia went to South Bend a few years ago, I was absolutely stunned at how many Georgia fans were in the stands. It was very impressive for the dog faithful and embarrassing for the Irish. I'm wondering how you guys think the traveling Buckeye faithful will stack up to that showing from the Georgia folks. This Notre Dame team is better and more exciting with real championship potential. This game is probably a bit more exciting for the Irish fans as many have Irish and Buckeye fans in the family. So again, if people don't know that, it was like a thing. Mm -hmm. that Georgia invaded South Bend in uh, 2017. Georgia won at Notre Dame 20 to 19. And there were letters in the South Bend Tribune, letters to the editor afterward, that were saying things like embarrassing, appalling. It was a disgrace. These Notre Dame fans who were mad at the Notre Dame season ticket holders who sold them to Georgia. And there were videos of how much red was in that stadium, singing Georgia fight song things. I did look on the ticket websites, Landis, and there are a lot of tickets out there. I mean, I guess yep. that's normal, but you know, there's some tickets like that are two thousand bucks, but there are also tickets that are like four four fifty. I think is the lowest that I saw. So like a get in price of four fifty plus all the fees and stuff. So like five hundred per ticket to get in, which is a whole lot of of money. It is, but you can get there if you really want to, and. I always think there's going to be Ohio State fans at road games. Yeah, they they travel incredibly well. Um, I think it'll be a good turnout. They are Notre Dame is is terrified. <laughs> I think of Ohio State taking over its stadium. I've seen a few different stories about that um, throughout the off season um, and in the lead up to this game. So um, I think it'll be good. I don't I don't know that it'll be to to Georgia level. Um, I don't know. It's it's much easier to get to for Ohio State fans. They haven't played there since 1996. Like it's a thing. It's special that Ohio State is playing there, and you don't know when they're going to play there again. And I think that incentivizes people to pay 
you know, not a, a not insignificant amount of money to get there. So I think it'll be pretty good. But I, I, I don't know. I think I'd be surprised if it was a, a anywhere approaching a full on takeover like that Georgia game. I almost sometimes think it's more likely to have a takeover when a game is sort of like a vacation game. That hey, we're going. I always said the 2013 Cal game. We're going to Cal. We're going to Miami. We're going to USC, right? And all the, these Ohio State fans plan it out years in advance. It's not that you can't go on vacation to South Bend, Indiana. There's a casino there that I may have swung by nice. on the way home on Monday. How do we do? Uh, pretty good. I nice. think I won forty. I walked out uh, forty bucks ahead, which yeah, is which is pretty good for me. I played the Little Shop of Horrors slot machine game i like <laughs> playing the slot machine games that are based on real tv shows and movies and then it's yeah. like did you get enough rick moranis faces on your little shop of horror thing and that brings me joy brings I me think pleasure the, i think the first time i ever gambled was at the horseshoe casino in cleveland i don't know if it's still called that or not but i walked in there and went to the lord of the Rings slot machine and i think i put five dollars in there and i won like 400 bucks i was like gambling's easy this is great yeah gambling is easy <laughs> Which, that'd be another great There'll be another off-season show. Gambling's easy with Bill Landis. So um, I'm reading this. This is actually a story from today or that was published on today, September 20th, depending on when you're listening to this. So Notre Dame, um, the only guaranteed way to get tickets to the Ohio State game was to purchase a season ticket plan that cost $850. Single game tickets never went on sale. Um, so Notre Dame's like trying to control the allocation there. And it says the maximum number of tickets a donor could purchase was reduced to 10, which was cut in half from previous limits. Um, and a chance to at Ohio State tickets from a lottery required a minimum $100 donation to enter. So can I actually say, I think it's possible that kind of thing backfires because if you give single game tickets, yes, Ohio State fans might grab those, but like the most passionate Notre Dame fans who really want to be there will grab those. When you are buying a ticket package, it's an investment. And sometimes when you make an investment, you want a return on your investment. Yeah. And you can say to yourself, listen, man, I mean, I'd really love to be at Ohio State Notre Dame, but I can sell my my Ohio State ticket for the cost of my whole package and then go to every other game for free all year. Yeah. So I think when you when you require an investment, I understand what you're trying to do, but there's a lot of people who love Notre Dame, who love college football, who love their home team, who don't have 800 bucks. Yeah. But they might have had... 200 or 175 or whatever a face value ticket would have been. I actually, now I think that's going to backfire on them. <laughs> We're not going to be there, but wave to everybody, wave to all the Ohio state writers, all of you gazillion of Ohio state fans who are going to take over that stadium. That is definitely going to happen. Thank you for that information. Sorry to Notre Dame. They're trying. It's a green out, right? It's a big deal. Mm -hmm. They always make a big deal when they wear green. Marcus Freeman wore a green jacket. They made him to his Monday news conference. And they're doing this whole thing with these glow in the dark wristbands. That's going to be like a Jonas Brothers concert, which is just it's the greatest comparison. You know, it's going to be like a Jonas Brothers concert. It's going to be awesome, but it's not going to flash red. They're going to flash green and all these things. So if you're an Ohio State fan, you're still going to have a green bracelet on uh, on your seat when you get there. So they're going to go green jersey, gold pants, right? They're always gold. They never deviate from the gold pants, do they? I think that's right. Yeah. Ohio State should go white on white. It's a great look. Oh, the Browns just went white on white and their best player's leg exploded. Okay. Anyway. I take, I take it back. Peter. Should we be looking at the 2021 Oregon game as any indication of what to expect here? Just overall, that Ohio State team was much more talented, but wasn't quite ready to compete that week. By the end of the season, it wouldn't have been as close. Any reason to think the same might apply here? 
So when he says much more talented, he means the Ohio State team is more talented than the Oregon team. Right. But I do think in general, we've referenced the Oregon game a lot. Looking back, I think we kind of knew it in the moment. That Ohio State team, especially from a defensive standpoint, was not talented. <laughs> and I think that is a huge difference here two years apart. Yeah, uh, the the talent issue on defense and a coaching issue on defense. They could not figure out how to defend a, a crack sweep into the boundary <laughs> or even got three touchdowns off of it. So I, I don't really think much from that game is applicable other, other than Ryan Day probably does not want Kyle McCord to throw 54 passes in this game like C.J. Stroud did in that game. Um, but all, like we were talking about this on... Um, I can't remember if it was Snap Judgments or the Daily. I can't. We, we do so many shows. But Austin made the point that that Ryan Day's hold up with that game was not not so much the volume of passes that C.J. Stroud threw. It was that the defense was terrible and like they couldn't run the ball. Um, like I don't I don't think Ryan Day is ever going to get terribly upset with throwing the ball a lot. But he wants to know that the other areas of his team are reliable, and they weren't in that game. So I think the defense is reliable in this game, far more reliable than that defense was. Um, the run game, we'll see. Like, I don't, I don't know that it's a guarantee that the run game is going to be good against Notre Dame. Um, I still have some questions about it, but I don't, I don't think this is really the same thing. It's just the difference again between you can throw because all these other things are working. So let's throw and feel good, and or you must throw because nothing else is working. That game, Oregon's up one score at the half. Oregon scores touchdowns on three of its first four drives in the second half including a 77 C.J. Verdell run just right up the gut where they just ran some motion, pulled the linebackers out, got one block, and then a banana angle from Bryson Shaw, and you're out of yep. the house. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, that's not functional. But for Kyle to be back there, hey, like this is, I have a two-score lead, but we're still, we're going to keep the, you know, keep the pedal down a little bit, be aggressive, but I don't have to, it's the burden. It's the save us C.J., they were singing that on the uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Sudden, oh, people don't want me to sing. Like Suddenly, Seymour, save us, CJ, was kind of the same like that. So they can't make it that Kyle McCord has to save them. But yeah. you can throw in a way that's like, no, it's like we're letting Kyle do his thing. But because that defense schematically and from a personnel standpoint, it's like looking at the people who played in that game. Taraja Mitchell played like 60 snaps in that game. Bryson Schaub played a ton in that game. Cam Brown played a ton in that game. Tommy Eichenberg played like 30 of the 60 snaps in that game. Had like think the worst PFF grade of his life. That wasn't yeah. like the real Tommy Eichenberg yet. I think the, the main thing to me about comparing it to 2021, and it remains amazing that Oregon had a top 10 pick at edge rusher in that game who did not play a single snap and they still beat Ohio State anyway. They, they beat him without their best player, Kayvon Thibodeau. I mean, if the Ohio State defense on Saturday plays like it did against Oregon, they are going to lose. But I just yeah. don't, I cannot envision a scenario where that's the case because they're also not playing Legend Cavazos and Ryan Watts at corner and asking true freshman Denzel Burke to save them. Like, I just, I understand the comparison, but that part of it is just, it's not even close. This no. defense is so much better. Yeah, from per personnel and scheme wise, I think like w will we get a Jim Knowles hyper aggressive let's let's too many plays out of the house deal? M maybe I guess that's on the table until he kind of proves otherwise. But um, 
Jim Knowles, I think, like that that defense was suffering from a talent deficiency in 2021 and just like could not make adjustments, was unable to make adjustments. And I don't think either of those things apply to this defense. All right, number seven, our guy Robbie. Hey guys, Robbie from Canton. Do you guys anticipate much of a rotation in personnel with the increase in opponent talent? On the D-line, at running back, at safety, thanks. Love the Monday pods going over the north. Thanks, Robbie. What do you think, Landis? Is this like a big package game? Put that on the mm, playlist. Is this a big package game? It's a big package game, yeah. Uh, I mean, it is a big package game. That's right. Come on, guys. It's a big package game. But is it a big game to use lots of personnel packages? <laughs> um, hey, uh, Ron, is this a big package game? You know, <laughs> just got to you know get your big package and take it to South Bend. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know what that means. Like, I, yes, potentially, I, I think you're going to see like Jordan Hancock and Sonny Styles, depending on what Notre Dame wants to do. And Notre Dame is capable of playing with two tight ends and also throwing three or four receivers out there. So I think Ohio State will have to adjust accordingly to that. So that's one way that I think you could see some, some sub, uh, packages for, for Ohio State. Um, Defensive line rotation, I think, has not been all that expensive anyway this year. Like, so, it's- so let me interrupt you a little bit because I did get the numbers. Edge rush snaps so far. JT Tuimolo 131, Jack Sawyer 117, and then a big drop. Caden Curry 56, Kenyatta Jackson 54. So yeah. it's not, it's certainly not equal. Defensive tackle, Tyleek Williams 115, Mike Hall 86, Ty Hamilton 82. And we always talk about they like to play six defensive tackle. It's a big drop. Jaden McKenzie, 34. Hero Canoe, 24. Taiwan Malone, 17. One of the most, that turns out to be one of the most overhyped things of camp that has not really turned into a thing is Taiwan Malone is like not part of the rotation here. Yeah. At, at, at linebacker, they're really only playing two guys. At corner, they're playing the top three guys. Denzel and Davis and outsider than Jordan Hancock in the slot. And at safety, Lathan Ransom never comes off the field. Sonny Styles comes off the field sometimes for the nickel corner. And then depending who's healthy, Josh Proctor and Jihad Carter kind of split the deep safety spot. So I, I think it, they actually have rotated less, which people like, but I think they're going to roll with their dudes, except that there's maybe one exception to that that we'll get to in a second. But I think they're going to roll actually with their dudes. I, I don't think they're going to rotate or package it up much. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. I guess the, there there are two things. Is the one you want to talk about Mitchell Melton? Is that the one you were? That's the one. Yeah. So because uh, Jim Knowles, you asked the question, and Jim Knowles' answer was raised eyebrow. <laughs> yeah. So <clears throat> I don't know if that's like the Jack position or what, but clearly they have had designs on Mitchell Melton doing something for this defense that we've not seen yet. But he's healthy, and he's played. And when he's played late in games, he's looked pretty good. I think. So I think that's on the table. Like we're going to spring the Mitchell Melton package on you this week. And also too, if you want some more like pure speed rush on the field against these tackles, I guess I could see Kenyatta Jackson playing a little more. But aside from that, I think it's mostly what we've seen so far. Okay. Let's talk more about the pass rush. Billy Gross talking pass rush. I've been holding on to the belief that the Buckeyes need a great pass rush in order to win big games like what is coming up here with the Irish. If that's not their strength and not going to happen this year, would it be enough to be an elite rush defense with the expected long yardage third downs that would come with that? So this is then going to lead us into our quarterback talk, Landis, Mm -hmm. with Sam Hartman and Kyle McCord and a lot of comparisons there. I just think they need some level of a pass rush 
to bother him some. And I might move up a discussion because there's a particular guy here that I think maybe is the key to the game. But just like generally, how great is the need for them to get after it after Sam Hartman? Pretty great. Um, I think it is probably the most important thing in this game. Uh, We saw Sam Hartman fumble the ball a few times against NC State. I think he's capable of that. He's capable of throwing interceptions. I think if you can get him off platform and his mechanics start to suffer a little bit. So I I think it is is the key in this game for Ohio State. If it doesn't want to find itself in a competitive game, it needs to get after Sam Hartman. And it's it's not just the ends, right? Pass rush is not merely defensive end conversation. It's everybody up front. But I... I was encouraged by what we saw last week with their pass rush, but you know, it's Western Kentucky. How much do you really take from it? But uh, it was the best it's looked um, probably going back to like the middle of last year. So uh, I, yeah, I think it's incredibly important. All right, let me grab this and move up the my call conversation. This is from our guy, Jordan. Do we think we will ever see my call return to his form of those four or five early season games last year? I understand he's been doing good since then, but during those certain games, he was dominant, and I thought we had our next game-breaker like a Bosa or a Young in him. I think his play is vital to this game, just as it was last year. Um, I think I, I might believe Mike Hall is the most important Ohio State Buckeye in this game because mm-hmm. I did a, a Notre Dame podcast this week, and I was bringing up how good the Notre Dame offensive line is, and they were like, well, the middle of the line. Yeah. So are they saying that Rocco Spindler thinks or what? Yeah. So he yeah. Rocco Spindler's the right guard, right? I, I think yeah. that's the weak link here. And I think if Ohio State's gonna get pressure, it's gonna be internally. And my call is the guy to do that. And I think it's possible that this is the game that like goes in the my call goes in the history books. Like, hey, remember. Remember the JT Tuimolo Wild Penn State game. Remember the Tommy Togiai game several years ago, I guess in the COVID year against Penn State when he had like his all three sacks of his entire season against Penn State. Mm-hmm. Like that, I think that is on the table and might be necessary. Again, he hasn't played as many snaps as Tyreek Williams, but he's playing. What do you think of Mike Hall so far this year? And what do you think of, of that declaration? He's the number one guy for this game. I agree that he's the, uh, the number one guy for this game. Um, I guess his play, he's not been quite as explosive as I thought he would be coming into the year. Uh, he has like, he has five pressures through three games. He had five in the first two games. He did not have a bunch last week. Um, it also felt like last week the tackles were kind of just eating up a lot of double teams, like creating space for other people. And sometimes that's your job as a defensive tackle. So I think this is a game where he gets after it. He got after it last year against Notre Dame. We were talking to Mike Hall. I think it was before the first game, or maybe it was before, after the first game, before the second game, one of the midweek interviews. And he was talking about how good he's felt and how happy he is to be healthy and how eager he is to show people what he can be when he is 100% himself. And someone said, well, what's that look like? And he said, did you see the Notre Dame game last year? Oh, and, for real? Yeah. And uh, so like, I think that's in his head, too, that this is a moment for him to really kind of step out and, and shine. It's. I would also say like like Tyreek Williams is a really good interior pass rusher as well. I think he could get after it, and I am. I don't. I don't. I wouldn't say I'm on alert for this, but I'm. I'm curious. Like, do you knowing knowing the strengths and weaknesses of Notre Dame's offensive line, do you consider a little bit of JT Tuimolowell inside to like get a really favorable matchup, especially when you can throw like a Kenyatta Jackson or Mitchell Belton out there at end? Like, do you maybe give that a spin and see what see how it fits? 
just on third down, like just on passing downs. Yeah, or just as a change up, like in yeah, I, I, like I think yes on passing downs because I think if you're anticipating a run, you want JT setting the edge because he's good at that. Um, but if you're if you're pass oriented with your particular call, do you see? Because they did that with I remember in 2019, they did that sometimes with Chase Young. They just like line yeah. up over the center and say good luck. Um, I don't know. Maybe they won't do that. That's a little bit of a radical change up. I don't think JT's ever lined up inside, but um, I, I think it'd be worth trying. No, I I like all of that in the in the Rushman look, you know, to have an edge inside. But they they do want to run the ball, and we'll talk more about the Notre Dame run game here in a little bit. But like they're really physical. They you know, Audric mm-hmm. Estime is is a tackle breaker inside, a big physical dude, and so you just you know, I also think depending if Notre Dame gets looks like that, Notre Dame will they'll even come out on a third and eight and check to a run and 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 do you know, do something like that where they try to take advantage of when Ohio State's trying to take advantage. So, but yes, and it might just be, you know, running a bunch of stunts and stuff that you're Mm -hmm. just, you're trying to get, you're lining up JT outside, but then you're running a game to get him in where he's going against the guard inside and that that's Mm -hmm. the idea. But again, then they'll try to, they'll try to hit you with something in the, in the run game there. Cause that's like, I do think that's part of this too. There's going to be a game between Sam Hartman and Jim Knowles as, as, as Sam Hartman gets up to the line, and um, it's Gerald Parker, right? Is the Notre Dame offensive Gerard. 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 Yeah. The missing L in Gerard gets me a lot. <laughs> I actually think I like Gerard. I like I like the name Gerard because you're expecting the L and you don't get it. Yeah. Which nice. is exactly what no- Notre Dame is going to do in this game. <laughs> that would be the Gerard Parker expecting the L, but you're not going to get it. Everyone thinks we're going to lose. We're three-point underdogs at home. But just like. So I think he's done a pretty good job, right? They tried to get a new op. They lost Tommy Reese to Alabama. Alabama's on fire. And they tried to get Andy Ludwig as the Utah offensive coordinator. They wouldn't pay his buyout, so they couldn't get him. So they sort of had to settle for this. But I think it's looked pretty good so far. They have an identity, and we'll get yeah. more into the Notre Dame scheme. But I think there's going to be some interesting stuff between the looks Ohio State wants to give and then how, how Sam Hartman's going to adjust to that on the fly. So let's talk about Sam Hartman. This is Jared not Gerard, Hmm. Jared Gilliam. Sam Hartman has only taken four sacks this year and has no picks. With how much of an emphasis we've been placing on getting to the quarterback and creating turnovers, could this be the difference maker in the game? And then Luke, our guy, just a quick question. Sam Hartman has put up some serious numbers, but why are we so concerned about a quarterback that apparently is not talented enough to go to the NFL yet? I totally understand the experience and everything, but there has to be something that has kept him from taking the leap to the NFL. It wasn't a lack of opportunity. So it's sort of like, is Sam Hartman good? And you mentioned the the interceptions with Sam Hartman come up a lot. He hasn't thrown any this year. He threw 12 last year at Wake Forest. He threw 14 in 2021 at Wake Forest. Over his, I mean, he played five years at Wake Forest. I think it was hurt the one year, so like four and a half years. He had 110 touchdown passes and 41 interceptions. PFF talks about turnover-worthy plays, right? Where, like, could you have turned it over? I think the year that he threw 14 picks, he only had 16 turnover-worthy plays, and every single one turned into a turnover. Like, it Mm -hmm. is incredible bad luck. Because you look at those lists, and there are other guys who have 19 turnover-worthy plays and have five picks. And it's like, oh, he only threw five picks. So I think there's some bad luck there. And then taking the sacks... 
Wake Forest last year, thir- Wake Forest, this is the overall for all their quarterbacks, but it's almost always Sam Hartman. Wake Forest thirty got sacked 38 times in 13 games. Year before, 36 in 14 games. Year before, 27 in 9 games. Year before, 34 in 12 games. So basically, they're giving up like three sacks a game. Notre Dame's giving up one sack a game. So here's this. I do think most of the bad Sam Hartman stats at Wake Forest were because it's Wake Forest. And I actually think it's not that much that it's Sam Hartman. And now that he has an offensive line that he believes in and he's been around a while, he's not getting sacked and he's not throwing picks. So I would not like look at the old Sam Hartman Wake Forest stats and be like, oh, eh, that guy throws picks. I don't know. Would you? I think it is. If you're being fair in your assessment, you have to take the scheme into consideration. And that slow mesh system at Wake Forest asked the quarterback to hold on to the ball for a very long time and then like try to throw it down the field. You're like, you, you have to have a really tough dude playing quarterback in that system because he's going to get hit. Um, so that's part of it. That's that's also why he didn't go to the NFL because teams had questions about his ability to operate in a more traditional offensive scheme. Now he is like from to- a tool standpoint, he is more more limited than you know a lot of the other guys in the conversation like i don't think he's he has first round upside as a quarterback but he was probably looking at going late round or perhaps undrafted because he just played in the system at wake forest that you couldn't project it to the nfl it was it was so unique so he went to notre dame where he's going to operate in a more pro style system and i myself had questions about his ability to do that so far it's looked really good um he is throwing the ball a little quicker this year at Notre Dame than he did at at Wake Forest. Um, this is his his time to throw is the lowest it's been since his freshman year at Wake Forest when he, I don't believe he was the starter, um, or at least not the full time starter that year. So I I think we're you're right. I think if you look at just the the production and and some of the mistakes at Wake Forest, you need to take into consideration what he was being asked to do in that system. That said, like I don't think Ohio State's about to go face Trevor Lawrence, but I I do think. Sam Hartman is a pretty good quarterback. Like I think, I think it's possible we look back at the end of the season and think that he was the best quarterback Ohio State faced. We're going to continue this quarterback discussion. We're actually going to have a special guest stop by. We'll do that next on Kings of Columbus. So, Landis, I do like comparisons, right? To try to help guide people. Things you've seen before, like what what are we talking about here? So, Tyler asks this. Several questions trying to understand how good Sam Hartman is. Give me a college quarterback comp for Hartman. The someone the Buckeyes have played in the past would be slick. Is he elevating Notre Dame or is he simply no longer dragging dragging them down like prior quarterbacks? Is this a top 15 roster finally getting a top 15 quarterback or is he elite? So there's a lot of questions there. I think the comparison one is the best. And now Donald asks this. Hartman is as poised and as experienced as a college quarterback gets. How much does having played another experienced quarterback in Stetson Bennett last season, how much is that going to help Ohio State prepare for a guy like Hartman in a pro-style offense? It's not every day you play a guy the same age as some NFL MVPs, let alone twice in your college career. So um, let's hold on one second. I believe this is my first appearance on Kings of Columbus, and it could not be more appropriate as I am currently the king of Los Angeles as the number two quarterback for the Los Angeles Rams. Bill Landis, if we have not met, I am Stetson Bennett III, and it is most fine to meet your acquaintance. I wish I could say the same. (laughs) I believe that to compare Sam Hartman to me is an absolute injustice. 
what I have done in my career with two national championship rings while Sam Hartman was playing tiddlywinks at Wake Forest cannot be compared. However, Doug would like to make a point, and I will see myself out because I think perhaps there are people who find me annoying. Goodbye. Thanks, Densa. Good to see you again. Um, I actually think, like, play style, nothing. Old guy who knows what's up and isn't super, super talented, but has been around, knows the offense, knows how to make plays. You can think, right? I mean, the Georgia defense, mm-hmm. Georgia defense, the Georgia offense beat Ohio State last year because Stetson Bennett came on the field in a two-minute drill and won the game. So that that's my comparison. He's not Trevor Lawrence. He's not Deshaun Watson. He's not one of the greats, not Mac Jones. He's not one of the best quarterbacks. He's not Vince Young. He's not one of them, a first-round quarterback, but it should be very fresh in the minds of Ohio State fans what a, a veteran dude who knows how to run the show and doesn't get rattled, what he can do to you, right? Yeah, for sure. I don't I don't know that I want Stetson Bennett, or not Stetson Bennett, Sam Hartman. I don't want Stetson Bennett either, but I don't want Sam Hartman with the ball late in the game with a chance to win it. Yeah. I think that would scare me a little bit, and it's just because he's been there before. And he knows what he's doing. He's actually been very good in the two minute drill this year, like excellent. I think that I think I I didn't go back and check it with this pass game they played against Central Michigan, but I think maybe he was perfect in the two minute drill going into the Central Central Michigan game. So and like you know, I know they didn't play a whole lot of, of of good teams, but even even that I think is a sign that like you know he's not he's not phased by a whole lot. So. Um, I think that's important to remember. Like, and you asked Ryan Day about the experience factor of quarterback in this game, and he like started like, yeah, it matters, and then like he stopped himself because like, oh, I can't go far too far yeah. down this road because I'm gonna gonna make my guy sound like he's not ready for this. But like, I, clearly, it matters, and and I think even like honestly, play style a little bit. I, I don't I don't think Sam Hartman and Setson Bennett are all that dissimilar. Sam Hartman's probably a better pure passer than Stetson Bennett is, but they'll both like get outside the pocket. They'll make plays. Stetson Bennett ran for two touchdowns last year against Ohio State. I think Sam Hartman's capable of running for touchdowns against Ohio State this year. So it's not it's not a bad comp. Of all the teams, of all the guys Ohio State's played, it's probably the best you can come up with. All right, let's go to the Ohio State quarterback before we compare him again. This is Rust Belt Brian. Is this the week we see what makes Kyle McCord special? What is that trait? Will that trait be needed to win this game? So this is a continuing conversation. I I like the extraordinary trait conversation. Mm. Is there something in with what you've talked about with Kyle McCord and his ability to diagnose RPOs, even if they're not super complicated yet? That's part of this. Like what, what do we think this trait is for him? Yeah, I tried to get at that with Ryan. Ryan Day, I think that not, he was not in a, in a uh, talkative mood on Tuesday, but I was trying, I was trying to think of how to get at a discussion about, like what makes Kyle tick and what perhaps makes him special. So I asked like, how would you evaluate his decision-making through the first three games? And like the answer was not great, but I do think that's it. Um, I think he's got, he's got a very good arm. I don't know that he's got like a special, special arm, like CJ Stroud with his accuracy or Justin Fields with his like raw power down the field, but it's good enough certainly to make all the throws Ohio State needs him to make. Um, He's probably got more of a competitive streak in him than maybe we've seen to this point, and and that'll probably have to come out in this game. But I do think it's decision making, and and it can be simple as making the right read on RPOs, um, and perhaps more difficult. They have given him some full field reads on on plays, and I think he's more often than not gone to the right place with the ball. So 
I think he is pretty smart and 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 steady and and actually it's a small sample size, but I think perhaps composed too. It wasn't RPOs, it was just reads in the run game, but JT Barrett always did that really well. He always made the right read. And when you have a play that has options, right? More often than not, one of the options is going to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the whole point. You put, you stress the defense and make them make decisions and, and try to do something so that no matter what they do, they're wrong. So if you can do that and make them wrong no matter what, but then there are games you watch where the quarterback is constantly making the wrong decisions. Like, what was there? He just, that was a pull and right. he kept it. Or that was, you should have thrown that and he handed it off. And that, if Kyle is really good at that in the moment, because then when you think about JT, JT was a great leader. JT was super physical in the run game, right? That there, JT Barrett had other great attributes, but I think maybe I would put sort of in the moment decision-making very high on JT's list. And then when it's like CJ, CJ to me is sort of, is the decision-making beforehand, the decision-making on film study, the decision-making pre-snap, seeing what a defense is doing. But if, if Kyle is more the decision-making in the moment, right, um, that can be extraordinary. And if, mm-hmm. and if we see that where, because Ryan Day will set you up to succeed, right, if you follow his plan. And if that's it, I think your explanation of this might be the, I don't know, the most reassuring, like, oh, no, that actually makes sense to me as a trait that matters that he might have that could be a separator that something this offense can lean on the rest of the year. Yeah, I think I think what they they've they've had a really good plan for him, I think, that that has accentuated a lot of that. Um there's going to be in this game, I, I would imagine, if it goes the way I think it's going to go, there's there's gonna be a time where I think you're you're gonna see whether or not Kyle McCord has the improvisation in improvisational skills. What's that? yes, improvisational skills, thank you. Also, people just say improv for yeah. short. Improv. Um to make to I'm make in a lunchbox. <laughs> that was a thing. Uh, I had a lot of improv friends in college, and one time we went. That to does not surprise me. Yeah, <laughs> it's not <laughs> not a thing to brag about. Uh, and uh, I went to someone's apartment. It was like, hey, let's do improv. I was like, what? This is like a thing. Like I thought we'd say like watch TV or whatever. And then the thing was uh, be in a lunchbox, and I was a thermos, and that was it. Oh, that nice. was the one and only time. That I did improv. Me as a thermos, though, I think is very, very relatable, right? You could see me as a thermos. Yeah, I feel like this. Like, if you go to Northwestern, are you either a sports writer or a comedian? Yeah. <laughs> or you try to merge the two and just fail miserably. <laughs> so, <laughs> is that my music again? That's no way. Uh, yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Thermos. Can Kyle McCord be a thermos? Be a thermos. Be a thermos. What if Ryan Day was like, what if Ryan Day was like, hey, we just we've been doing a lot of improv in the quarterback room to sort of instantaneous decision making. You know, Lincoln Keenholtz the other day, he was a he was a pickle in the lunchbox. And <laughs> and uh yeah. So anyway, I do like decision making is a real trait though. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I I and I think Kyle will will handle that pretty well in this game. I'm I'm expecting him to. I don't We'll see. Like maybe, maybe I'll be totally wrong on this. He just doesn't seem like he's a guy who's going to get like terribly rattled to me. So I think he'll be locked in and making the right decisions. It's just a matter of like we saw it last year against Notre Dame. Like CJ Stroud had to get outside the pocket and make a couple plays to like make sure Ohio State won that game. Um, 
and then like kind of didn't do that the rest of the year until the Georgia game. But can can Kyle do similar things if called upon to do so? And I think he can. I actually think he's probably more athletic than CJ is. So I yeah. think he can do it. It's weird because like the athleticism conversation and the quarterback battle always lean toward Devin Brown, but I actually think they're both like sort of more naturally athletic than CJ. That mm-hmm. um again, like we're, we're not CJ was extraordinary and, and CJ's, but I think CJ solved, and this is the big story I wrote with CJ at the end of last year about solving problems with his brain. I think he so often solved problems with his brain that he sort of didn't want to, or didn't think he needed to solve them with his body mm-hmm. in the moment sometimes. And, and I take CJ's brain a hundred times out of a hundred, but Kyle in the moment, right? Where it's like, okay, I didn't perfectly diagnose this and recognize where the safety was based off what I watched on film by myself on Sunday. And now I know exactly what I'm going to do. But Ryan gave me a play. I'm going to read this. I'm going to read that. And if that doesn't work, I'm going to, I'm going to keep diagnosing in the moment that, that, that could be good. This is Chris and Austin who asked a bunch of questions. Chris, I see them all. We can't get to all of them. One of them is a one is Ari coming back. Mm. He's going to be at the Notre Dame game. Oh, he is? Yeah. He's going to be there and we're not? Yeah, he's very upset with me. Yeah. Yeah. What is the lowest statistic? This is also from Chris. What is the lowest statistical performance, yards, completions, turnovers, touchdowns that McCord could achieve with Ohio State still winning on Saturday? So, like, how how bad can Kyle McCord be and Ohio State still wins? And I did look up <laughs> some stuff. CJ against Tulsa. In what probably was the worst game of CJ's career. It's like the week after the Oregon loss in 2021. And then he goes in and has his so- his shoulder cleaned up on the bye week and sits out Akron after that. He was 15 of 25 for 185 in a 41-20 win over Tulsa. So 15 of 25 for 185. That's not very good for CJ. But Trayvon Henderson ran for 277 yards in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, the Minnesota game, CJ's first start, he was 13 of 22 for 294, but in the first half, he only threw for 48 yards, and then he got it together in the second half, so that was a bad first half. And then Notre Dame last year, when they clunked it up, and Jackson Smith and Jigma got hurt, CJ was 24 of 34 for 223, which is, you know, 223 yards on 34 attempts is not that great. The 15 for 25, that's where I was anyway. I had, the worst Kyle could be is like 15 for 25 for like, 175 to 200 and still win yeah i think he's i think i'm probably be in the same area but that has to come with a touchdown or two i think i don't i don't know that you can win this game with a goose egg in the passing touchdown column do you think ohio state wants to will can come out and run the ball down notre dame's throat i don't think i've seen enough from this offensive line to believe in that yeah, I kind of don't think that's the game plan either. So I think the quarter, the passing game has to do some stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't think the passing game can be along for the ride on this one. The way, like, right, 15 for 25, CJ, Trayvon goes for 277. All right, let's get down to the real brass tacks of a McCord and Hartman comparison. Will Carr. While I think McCord might end up being the more talented quarterback for this game alone, how do you pick against a veteran solid quarterback like Hartman if you're trying to choose a quarterback in this game? This is Luke Hutchinson. He says, I picked Kyle McCord over Sam Hartman for a bunch of weird different reasons that I'll go into to list here. I picked McCord because I can't separate the quarterback from the team. 
and I'm thinking about the quarterback with Ohio State, Hartman would hold the ball too long for this Ohio State team. Then somebody asked about the efficiency of the two. The quarterback battle, this is Brian. The quarterback battle is very interesting in this game. Can you refresh the explosive and efficiency stats you provided after the Western Kentucky game? My eyes tell me that Hartman doesn't have a great arm, but he's very good at waiting out the coverage and finding an open man. But he isn't going to kill you with back shoulder sideline throws. So some of this discussion, Landis, is because I did directly ask the tech subscribers, would you rather for one game, if you could pick one to have on your team just for this game, which quarterback would you take? Who would you take, Sam Hartman or Kyle McCord? If you're, and we'll look at it from the Ohio State perspective. You're Ohio State. You're trying to win this game. If Ryan Gay could just swap quarterbacks, and then when the game ends, get them back. And and their their memories were doing men in black or wiping memories. No hard feelings. It's just about the play for three hours and twenty minutes on Saturday. Yeah, it's. <sighs> It's really hard for me to not take the experience of of a Sam Hartman. So I think I would take Hartman. And I don't I don't think that's a shot at anybody because I think it's just that because I feel like so here's the thing too. In my 19 seasons covering Ohio State, there have been a lot of propped up decent stat winning Big 10 quarterbacks that have played Ohio State and it's like nope, not them. And Part of the problem is that like Kirk Cousins was that. And I was like, nope, not Kirk Cousins. And now he has 15 mansions because he plays quarterback as one mm-hmm. of the 16 best quarterbacks in the NFL. And I thought he stunk because Ohio State took him apart. And there are all those Purdue quarterbacks, Kyle Orton and guys like that, right? I, I can't even, who's the other, the list of like average Purdue quarterbacks who then went on and sort of made a living in the NFL for a while, right? And David Blau doesn't count because David Blau actually tore Ohio State apart before he went out of the NFL. Yeah. So Jeff Smoker at Michigan State is a guy who's still – I felt like there were always Michigan State and Purdue quarterbacks where people were like, they're good, and then they played Ohio State, and like, no, they're not. They're just getting propped up. Connor Cook got him one time, though, didn't he? Connor Cook. Connor, but actually, and then when they but when they beat Ohio State in 15, Connor Cook didn't even play. He didn't play, yeah, right. He got him in 13. I don't think Sam Hartman's that. So like that. So my whole point is, I don't think Sam Hartman is a puffed up, propped up veteran. What are we doing here? Who's going to get exposed? I don't think that. So I would take Sam Hartman, but that's not a shot at Kyle McCord because I do think like long term upside. Uh oh, I have now planted the seed of puffed up, propped up, and now you are thinking that might be the case. It's just interesting. So what? No, I want to ask you what is what is your percentage chance that Sam Hartman actually is that? It's not zero. Okay. It's not zero. But like, again, he threw six touchdown passes against Clemson at Wake Forest, right? So like, that's part of it too, that he has been in games where I think he has performed well and not, um, not shrank in the spotlight. So, so that, that's what I buy. Not perfect, not winning necessarily, right? He was 20 of 29 for 337 yards and six touchdowns and no interceptions against number five Clemson last year in a 51-45 double overtime loss. So that, I don't know if Jeff Smoker could <laughs> could do that. So that, that's so I don't think that's going to happen, but I don't know. Also, has he, I mean, Clemson always has like a def- good defensive line and stuff. I, d- I just think it's maybe like 15% that happens. I certainly don't think it's, 
the likely outcome that, that Sam Hartman falls apart and gets exposed. Yeah, I'm looking at other games he's played against top 10 teams. So he played a number one Clemson team in 2020 uh, at the end of that season. No, sorry, first game of that year. Uh, 11 of 21 for 182, no touchdowns, no interceptions. They lost 37 to 13. They did not play a top 10 team in 2021, or at least a team that was ranked in the top 10 at the time they played them. And last year at Wake Forest, the only top 10 game they played was that game against Clemson. He did have other ranked games, uh, four touchdowns, one pick against UNC in a loss, two touchdowns, three picks against NC State in a loss, uh, two touchdowns, no picks, and a win against Florida State. So the Texters, do you think they said they'd take Kyle or they'd take Sam Hartman? I think they said they'd take Kyle, but it was close. Two to one. 63% Kyle McCord, 37% Sam Hartman. So the Ohio State fans are believing in their guy. And you know what? While we're in while we're in the survey, let's do some survey stuff. How worried are you about the Notre Dame game, Landis? I gave our texters four choices. This is one of the, I think, more fun things we do with the tech subscribers where you don't have to send a question and type out a bunch of stuff. You can just express your opinion and it gets counted. And you express your opinion through a survey that shows up right in your phone and is like super easy to do. And then it factors into like how we talk about the game. These are my choices. I'm very worried. I think Ohio State is going to lose. Uh, I am not very worried. I think Ohio State is better and may play well. No, so it was very worried, worried, not very worried, and zero worries are the are the from the most worried to the least worried. Okay, you know what I'm mm -hmm. saying, Landis? Yep. Very. Just normal worried, not very, and zero worries. What do you think won? What do you not, think was the most popular answer? Not very worried. Okay. Worried, which is like the second most worried answer, won at 54%. So when you do this, you always compare the ends and you compare the middles. So the two middle choices, the more worried one was 54. The not as worried was 39. On mm. the edges... Very worried, got 5%. Zero worries, got 3%. So they're leaning worried. They are leaning worried, which, which surprises me a little bit because I thought maybe after Western Kentucky, we would start sliding toward, oh, no, 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 no. Like, ah, I was a little concerned early, but there's a talent edge here, whatever, and they're not all the way there. Yeah, I, I'm surprised that the, the gap between worried and not very worried is that big. But I think part of that is this like natural fan feeling going into a game like this that you have to account for. And and I think you know Ohio State has played flat in two of their three games this year, so you're a little worried about are they going to come correct in South Bend? I think that's fair. What is your confidence level that Ohio State will win? Scale of one to ten. Ten is high. One is low. 7.06. So seven always wins everything. Mm -hmm. Very few tens, very few nines. Most of the votes, votes are eight, seven, and six. But there are some down in the five and the four. I, I guess seven seems about right, but I, I guess it's good. Is it good when Ohio State fans are at least cautious and not just like, oh, we got this for sure? I think, I think Notre Dame is good enough for Ohio State fans to be cautious, but Given the way Ohio State played last week, I don't know that I think they should be worried. Yeah, that's probably the right way to say it. I think it's, I think a seven, yeah, seven's right. I, I think I'd be like between a six and a seven. So 
So I gave six choices for what you're concerned about most for Ohio State in this game. The choices were Ryan Day offensive game plan, Jim Knowles defensive game plan, the quarterback play, the offensive line, the defensive line, and then like the intangibles, motivation, will they get up for a big game? What do you think they were most worried about, Landis, Ohio State fans for this game? Uh, Ryan Day's offensive plan. That was fifth out of six. Oh, wow. They are most worried about the offensive line, and it's not close. And last was the intangibles. So I had thought that there was some, maybe people thought that like they're not doing well in big games, whether that's the team or the coach, and like those were at the bottom. So I found that very interesting. Yeah, I, I agree with it. I would put offensive line first as well, but I, I thought that the fan base at large might feel differently. What do you feel best about for the Buckeyes in this game? I gave seven choices for this. I still gave Ryan Day offensive game plan, Jim Knowles defensive game plan, quarterback play, Ohio State's ability to rise up for a big game, the overall Ohio State talent across the board, the, the skill guys, playmakers on offense, and the defensive stars, and the overall defensive improvement were the seven choices. What do you think won that? Offensive playmakers? That is correct. Yeah. And second, close, was overall Ohio State talent edge across the board. So those were the top two. Do you think there is an overall Ohio State talent edge? Yeah, there is. Um, I think, yeah, I don't know the blue chip ratio off the top of my head, but like there definitely is. And and it's a difference for me, too, this year with Ohio State, which I think we might have talked about in the season preview show. Sometimes Ohio State ranks highly on those lists, but a lot of the guys who are pumping that number up aren't playing because they're freshmen. Yep. And there's part of that happening here, too. But I think a lot of the guys that are pushing that number up are actually playing for Ohio State right now. And then how much better do you feel about the Buckeyes for this game after the Western Kentucky win? 10 is much better. One is not much better. Scale of 1 to 10, 8.5. So everything we're doing here is it would all be much lower if they hadn't played the way against Western. Western Kentucky did. It didn't change my mind, but it reassured me a lot that I just didn't know. I try never to assume things, even though you can often assume things with Ohio State because there is a level of talent, because they have highly paid coaches. There's just inherent things in this program after two decades that it's like, well, I mean, it's eventually going to happen. But I still try not to do that. I still kind of want to see it. <clears throat> so I think like I saw I think we saw it against Western Kentucky. So I feel different about this game than I did after week two. Yeah, so so do I. Um I think I mentioned on the post game show, like if I said if someone would have asked me, like, hey, what do you think about Ohio State Notre Dame prior to seeing the way that Ohio State played against Western Kentucky, I would have said, like, I think you gotta pick Notre Dame. And then I saw Ohio State look like Ohio State, and I no longer think that. I still I don't know who I'm gonna pick at this point, but um it's a it's a conversation in my head now based off what we saw last week. Okay, question about quarterback uh, efficiency that that Brian Vick asked. Um, he wanted the sort of the refresher on the explosive and efficiency metrics. So I, I did grab some more. And when it comes to adjusted adjusted completion percentage among the Power Five quarterbacks, Sam Hartman ranks thirteenth. Kyle McCord thanks ranks thirty second. So a little more efficient for Sam Hartman. When it comes to big explosive plays, plays of 30 yards or more in the pass game this season, Notre Dame has 11 of those plays in four games. So almost three a game. Ohio State has five of those plays in three games. So not quite two a game. That doesn't make me think that like Notre Dame has a more explosive passing game than Ohio State. That's not what I would say. Ohio State does have the more explosive passing game. 
but Ohio State has to utilize it. So mm-hmm. do you think do you think we will see more big time pass plays from Ohio State? And what do you think when you hear those numbers so far? Yeah, I do think we're going to see more big time pass plays from Ohio State. Um, they go about it very differently. Uh, Notre Dame's like explosive plays are like we ran hard play action and our tight end got loose in the flat and no one was covering him and then he ran 60 yards for a touchdown. Um, Ohio State's is, is obviously very different. Um, I think I think Ohio State's explosiveness is a byproduct of just like pure talent. We're better than you. And Notre Dame's explosiveness is a byproduct of like lulling a defense to sleep and like trying to get them to make a miscue and then they spring a guy open. Um and that is, I think, a little less reliable. So, um, and we've not seen Ohio State's defense give up a ton of explosive plays yet this year. Really, like very few. Um, and and I think Notre Dame might find it difficult to spring them against Ohio State this week. And I'm just much more confident in Ohio State's ability to hit them against Notre Dame. A couple other like efficiency explosiveness stats: turnover worthy throws. Kyle McCord has them on 4.9 percent of plays. Sam Hartman, two, Sam Hartman, two point nine. So Kyle's, you know, had a couple more, couple more plays each game that kind of didn't go great. Their uh, average depth of target, which is sort of like the the ball in the air, are both pretty good. Sam Hartman is ten, Kyle McCord is nine point four. So they're both have times where they're pushing it down the field. Uh, their overall completion percentage is basically exactly the same, around seventy percent. Yards per attempt, Sam Hartman is fifth among Power 5 quarterbacks, 11.5. Kyle McCord is eight to 10.7. So, again, both these guys, Landis, this is not dink and dunk, right? right. This is not – I mean, they'll do that, but both of these guys have shown they will take shots. They, they will make some big-time throws. I think Hartman's done it more, but I think we could see an, ex- an expansion of McCord doing that this week. So I would say, overall, if you got lost in the stats – so far, Sam Hartman's been more explosive this season, sort of because of their when they take shots and Kyle McCord was just kind of trying to win the job. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it'll I think in this game, it might be pretty equal in the number of shots they take, the number of shots they complete. As you said, they'll do it in different ways. And then I do think Sam Hartman has been a little more efficient and that may stay. So I think in quarterback play, I think, the explosiveness, maybe even in this game, and the efficiency, maybe an edge to Hartman. Yep. Can I, uh, while we're talking some stats, can I throw out some like more just general offensive comparisons that yeah. I think could be important in this game? So <clears throat> these are from the, I don't, I don't, maybe you were going to do this, but these are the FE, FEI offensive ratings. And can I ask a question? Because somebody asked this question about FEI. Mm-hmm. So like football outsiders that, that, whole website went away and that was yep. where they had a lot of stuff so brian fremo is is why it's fei it's the fremo efficiency index yep and there are sometimes when you you people cite sp plus from espn from bill Connolly. he's been doing it forever and then there's an f plus rating which is basically Connolly plus fremo it's sp plus plus fei sp plus very clearly takes into account recruiting rankings stuff that happened last year especially early in the year those rankings lean on the past, and they know, they admit that. I don't think the FEI ratings do. No, I think I think those are purely like game data driven, like not for this year. Just what's happened? I, I tried to look it up. That was my impression. So anyway, I like FEI in general, 
but I especially like it early in the year because I think it's more about what has actually happened and it doesn't fold in. Are there five-star recruits who are doing it? So go yeah. ahead with the FBI. <clears throat> so overall offensive drive efficiency, um, Notre Dame is seventh. Ohio State is 10th. Points per drive, Notre Dame is eighth. Ohio State is 10th. Available yards, which is like the percentage of yards you could gain, like how much of them do you actually get? Ohio State's ninth. Notre Dame is 27th. Um, touchdown rate, how many of your possessions end with touchdowns? Ohio State took a big jump last week. They're now ninth in the country. Notre Dame is sixth. First down rate, I think, is interesting. Ohio State is 23rd. Right, They haven't been very good all year, but they, they turned it up a little bit last week. Notre Dame is 72nd. <laughs> that That's success on first down? How many of your drives gain a first down? Got it. Yeah. Um, so Notre Dame is 72nd. And like there is <clears throat> like Ohio State is eighth in the country at 72%, and Notre Dame is 17th in the country at 64%. So it's not a tremendous gap between the two because it's still early on in the season. Um, I'm sorry, I read those wrong. 67% for Notre Dame and 77% for Ohio State. Still, that's that's not a tremendously wide gap. But Notre Dame, I think. <clears throat> I'm one of the readers numbers is I think it's a, a point worth making. Notre Dame has been explosive. I don't know that they've always been efficient, especially if you look at like that NC state game, that was a lot of feast or famine. And, and that's a fine way to get by. Cause I think Ohio state operates that's that way sometimes too, but I, I don't actually know if Notre Dame is built to be successful that way in a game like this. So I think it's something to keep in the back of your mind. Like if you can limit explosive plays from Notre Dame, it, it could end up that Notre Dame is not able to do all that much on offense. And they didn't pull away late. In, in the until late in the NC State game, and they came out after that weather delay and popped an 80 yard touchdown run on a great design, but it wasn't March, 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 March. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I do think like all a lot of like Ohio State's efficiency stuff got really raised up yes. against Western Kentucky. So, even if Notre Dame hasn't been incredibly efficient all year in four games, I think they were still ahead of Ohio State in some efficiency metrics before the Western Kentucky game. Yeah. Because Ohio State kind of like wasn't efficient for a while, but they were not point correct. Yep. All right. Quick one on Ryan Day. This is from Nick. I think uh, the most interesting question on the survey is the Ryan Day question. I'm excited to hear what others think, but I have no confidence in Ryan Day winning the big game. I'd argue that he's only won two, Michigan in 2019 and Clemson in 2020, maybe a half point for last year's Notre Dame game. It's just hard to trust Ryan Day for a full 60 minutes in the game. The Buckeyes have to win. So I did do that for the tech subscribers. I like to ask kind of like the same exact question about different topics and see how they compare. Confidence level Ohio State will win was 7.06. What is your confidence level in Ryan Day for this game was 7.27. And it's kind of a different question, Landis, but I thought maybe Ryan Day would be, they'd have much less confidence in Ryan Day than they have in the overall team. But they actually have a little more confidence in Ryan Day than they have in the team winning the game. This is not the place to have an in-depth Ryan Day big game discussion. It is one of those things where, you know, it's like, well, I guess maybe I give him credit for Notre Dame. It's like, I don't know. It was a top five matchup to open the season last year, yeah. and they lost their best player in the first quarter, and they won. And so sometimes the, the losses in big games stick, and the wins in big games are like, eh, was it really that big? And it's like, well, what are we doing here? You have to set parameters and then look at the records. Would you have concerns about Ryan Day in a big game on this this Saturday at Notre Dame? Uh, that's a good question. I don't. Maybe a little bit because I I don't. 
it's a lot of it's last year, right? I thought he was very tight in all the big games until the Georgia game, and it's you just don't know. <clears throat> was the Georgia game a, a indication of how he's going to operate moving forward in those kind of games, or was that a, a you know an outlier compared to what I what thought was tight conservative play calling and, and a coach who's who's sort of demeanor in those games kind of rubbed off on his team in the wrong way. I don't know. So if that's how you're looking at it, I can understand why there is concern. Um, so yeah, I think I might be uh, concerned, but it's probably the wrong word. Maybe like more like for me, it's more curiosity about like which, which version of him is going to show up. But I, I think from a fan perspective, curiosity quickly becomes concern. That's another great one for the playlist. Curiosity becomes concern. You are very deep. Do you find yourself to be a deep person? No, not at all. (laughs) I do think you could. I don't know if you can sing or not. We've proven on this show that I can't. But I think you could write songs for a band that sings about very deep emotional things. (laughs) I've never tried my hand at songwriting. Yeah. Um, I do think I can sing okay, though. Oh, okay. Well, then we'll get to that. Sometimes people like like Gentle Giant, right? Do people ever call you a Gentle Giant? I'm going to call you an Emo Giant. I'm definitely an emo giant. That is, yeah, that is 100% accurate. Yeah. All right. Please write a song by next week. <laughs> oh, you're going to write our theme song. And then you can, we'll decide if you can sing it, but you, you can write a theme song for us about feelings and North versus South and what binds us together and wearing a jersey over your, your hoodie and, and how it just all makes us feel good on a Saturday in the fall. Please work on that. <laughs> this is Javante. Is there a world in which Ohio State loses this game close, but you feel better about their prospects of winning a title than before? I don't think Notre Dame is a real title contender because they're much less talented than all the other top 10 teams in the North besides Colorado, and I don't believe their coaching staff is good enough to close the gap. So this is like the good loss idea. I've contended that perhaps the Georgia loss was the greatest loss in Ohio State history, that it like reinvigorated the program. I think reaffirmed some things, made people a little less nervous, even though they lost. Is that possible here, Landis? Yeah, I think, I think so. But I, I can combine asking that question with an addendum. that's like, I don't think they're that good or, or they're that well coached. Well, then I, I, I think that makes your question, the answer to your question. No, but um, I do think Notre Dame is pretty good. They're, they're probably a step below elite true national title contender, but I think they're a pretty good team. And, I think you and I have discussed, right? There's a world where both these teams play awesome and Notre Dame wins. So I, I think that that is, um, that is something you could look at as a quote unquote good loss that, that makes you feel better about Ohio State's season long prospects. I think it's a pretty narrow window, though. I think the way you feel good about a loss is if a team does something particular to you that most other opponents aren't going to be able to do. Yeah. And I, so if it's, Man, like they just, we could not get any pressure on Sam Hartman. And then he just stood back there like an old man and picked us apart. And you think, well, when's Ohio State going to face an offensive line like this? Well, maybe Michigan, but actually, probably right now, Michigan has a reputation, but play on the field, right? Michigan's offensive line is not playing like Notre Dame's, right? It's not, and neither is Penn State's. Yeah. So, and then are JJ McCarthy and Drew Aller. And Carson Beck, anybody else in the country that you would have to go through, are they Sam Hartman? Not from an experience standpoint. They're not. Yeah. Like if you get to USC and Caleb Williams, maybe you have an issue. But if you get to if Ohio State plays USC and Caleb Williams, Caleb Williams they're going to have an issue with Caleb Williams, regardless of what Sam Hartman does to them. So that's the only window where I think it could be like, okay, because you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull one up quick to have us do this right now. 
because I know you talked about this on an earlier show with Austin and Bermlandis. This is from our guy, Josh Mustachio. When it comes to the coaches in this game, who do you think needs this win more, Freeman or Day? I feel Day needs to win more, but it would be a monumental game for Freeman. Did you guys come to the conclusion that Freeman needs it more? No, I. It's Berm. Berm seemed like Ryan Day needs it more. I was more in the Freeman needs it more camp, and I think Austin was kind of in the middle. But I think probably leaned a little more Freeman as well. Because I think Day needs it more. Because I think Marcus Freeman is on the way up, is on the rise. It's still early in his career. They're kind of trying to build on the the Brian Kelly era, but I don't believe Notre Dame fans think this is the fully formed Marcus Freeman team from a recruiting standpoint, all the guys they're yeah. going to have. Yes. It's the Sam Hartman one-off, but I think they think their receivers will get better. Their offensive line is great. Maybe they believe they'll get more playmakers on defense. I still think they believe they are ascending and they're on the path to something. Do you agree with that or no? Yeah, I think that's right. This is Ryan day, right? I mean, mm-hmm. this he's been around a while. Yeah, you know, you're dealing with the offensive line issues from the stud era still and, you know, Jim Knowles year two. But with with the two losses to Michigan, it's like, okay, has Michigan taken Ohio State's seat? Now if they lose to Notre Dame, for our northern conversation, we would maybe be from a spot where Ohio State dominates the north too well. You certainly would make a case, a strong case, they're behind Michigan right now. Are they also now behind Notre Dame? Because this isn't even the best of Notre Dame yet, but they beat Ohio State. Like, all right, mm. they, you know, they went in Ohio Stadium, but that was kind of a weird game, and Ohio State had to pull it out. Now they go to Notre Dame and lose, and it's not even the best that Notre Dame's going to be. I think this is much more important for Ryan Day. I I don't know that I disagree with most of that, but I like this very well could be the best of Notre Dame, couldn't it? Uh, I mean, I guess, are you going to find a sixth year quarterback in the portal all the time? Are you going to have a left tackle like Joe Alt and all those things? No, but I do think they will be more explosive. They're continuing to battle Ohio state and recruiting. I don't think it should be the best of Notre Dame. It might be one of those. Well, that's one of those things was 2019, the best of Ryan day, Justin Fields, Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, JK Dobbins. Yeah. And that was early. And it's like, well, you know, you're still building. It's like, well, you got all these dudes right now. So maybe Marcus Freeman will look back and be like, man, remember when we had Sam Hartman and Joe Alt and Blake Fisher and right. Audric Estime, and we were really good back then. Yeah. I mean, that, like, that's a hard, it's a hard thing to assume right now, but I think it's definitely on the table. I just, I just think like Notre Dame, I think very clearly wants to be taken more seriously as a national player. And I don't know if it can get there without eventually winning a game like this. Okay, that's a good point. John McClelland, please rank these matchups from least confident to most confident from an Ohio State point of view. Okay, it's Ohio State's interior defensive line and linebackers versus Notre Dame's power rushing attack. It's Ohio State's offensive line versus Notre Dame's defensive line and passing situations. And it's Kyle McCord versus Sam Hartman efficiency as a quarterback. So which one of those do you feel the most confident in? And I have to tell you, I can't believe what my answer was. Um, what do I feel most confident of those three? It was Ohio State's offensive line blocking Notre Dame in past situations. That was the yes. Okay. Yes. Um, that is my answer. Yeah, that's me too. Just because I don't know that Notre Dame can get after it. 
it's not about Ohio State's ability to block it. It's just I don't know that that's a strength for Notre Dame. Yeah, I don't think it is. And Ohio State's like pass blocking has been quite good <laughs> through, through the first four games. They are. I was actually just looking at this and I closed the tab. Um, Pro Football Focus has like that pass blocking efficiency metric that it uses for all offensive lines across college football. And Ohio State is 11th. I don't think they faced anybody that can actually test them on that. I guess you would say Indiana. They couldn't. I think Indiana that did linebacker. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You're all in on Indiana. We understand that. It's great defense. Uh, so, but it's odd to me. I just think that actually the matchup against like Notre Dame running the ball, it's not that I don't believe in the Ohio State defensive tackles and Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers, but I just think Notre Dame, I don't think Notre Dame is going to be able to run all over Ohio State, but I think it's a tall challenge to try to slow down the way those, you know, they run a lot of counters, right? They're pulling, mm-hmm. they're getting guys moving. Um, and then Audric Estime is a load. He's like turbo chip train them. Yeah, he's a good running back. Their offensive line is is very good, as we've said. I, I don't know. That was a toss up for me. Like I, I could maybe go that way too. I don't I don't think Ohio State's gonna get run on a whole lot in this game. Um the one thing I'll say to go back to the the pass protection point, and and this might be jumping the gun if we have more like matchup oriented questions or like scheme questions about Notre Dame. But there we do. We do? Okay, I'll save it then. Because there's a point I want to make about how Notre Dame gets after it. Okay. So let's do these together as a last one. This is our guy, Jim. I know nothing else about Notre Dame that hasn't been on the pod. That's great, Jim. It's dangerous. Now that makes me nervous to think yeah. that I listen to this pod where a guy does a Stetson Bennett impersonation, and that's how I learn about football. It's okay to expand your world, but we appreciate that you're here with the podcast. Ohio State's scheme flaws are being uh, overly aggressive and putting safeties on an island on D and a lack of third and short identity on offense. Does Notre Dame's talent match up well with our scheme flaws? What scheme does Notre Dame run and do their flaws provide openings that Ohio State can take advantage of? And then this is a side thing from Trevor. After Notre Dame boat race Navy, there were worries about Notre Dame's speed as a team. In your opinion, is this true for the last few weeks as well? Berm has mentioned that we have the talent gap advantage. Is the talent gap and the speed enough for Ohio State to win by two scores? If the gap is large enough, but we don't win, is this cause for concern? as the coaching is not up to par. So is Notre Dame fast enough? And what kind of scheme are we talking about that Notre Dame's going to run against Ohio State? I, I do think the speed is to Ohio State's advantage on both sides of the ball in this game. Um, I'm not going to pretend like I can tell, like they run, uh, you know, cover three, this percentage of the time, like they're like, they play four down a lot. Um, the thing that I wanted to mention about particularly their defensive scheme, um, when they do try to get after a quarterback, it does seem like, Al Golden, their defensive coordinator, is a big proponent of sending his linebackers through the A gap. And that is the, you know, to the left or right of the center. And Ohio State obviously has a new starting center this season with Carson Hinsman, who I think to this point has has played about as well as you could expect. A redshirt freshman has never played before to play. But now you're talking about on the road and you know, probably a fair amount of noise. Um and an offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator now golden, who I think is going to want to stress test the interior of Ohio state's offensive line when he sends extra blitzers. So I, I'm not saying that's definitely going to work in Notre Dame's favor, but I, I can certainly see a situation where that happens, right? Like that's the Indiana game from 2020 when they just like set a, sent a linebacker through and then brought a safety safety from depth. And like Ohio state couldn't block it. And Justin Fields played the worst game he's played in the Ohio state uniform because he was under duress for the entire game. So like that is on the table. I think that is, that is maybe the one thing with Notre Dame's defense. I think that 
is slightly concerning to me is like, can the interior of Ohio State's offensive line handle the pressures that Al Golden, I think, is going to throw at them? Because they blitzed a lot. They blitzed last week, they blitzed like, I wrote it down 60% of the time. I have like nine notebooks here. Uh, Against Central Michigan, they blitz 60% of the time. Against NC State, they blitz 40% of the time. Against Tennessee State, they blitz 50% of the time. They're going to come after you. And then just about, I, I agree. I don't think Ohio State's going to get run over. Audric Estime is second among Power 5 running backs in yards per attempt. He's averaging 8.4 yards per carry. I said four at the start because that's normal. 8.4 yards per carry is nuts. Now, he's ripped off some long ones. Mm-hmm. He's third among power five running backs in yards after contact, 4.7 yards after contact per carry, which is really good. Chip doesn't quite qualify it because he hasn't had enough carries. He's actually 5.4. He's ahead of Audric Estime, but again, like Estime carries more the load. They play multiple running backs as well, but he's clearly number one. Just as a point, just as a point, actually, I'll save it. It's Trayvon Henderson point that we want to make later in the podcast because we do now want to go fast. Ryan Day talked about tempo. We're going to go tempo. We have a, a, some questions left. We're given like 30-second answers on them, though. Okay. Still football. We'll do that next on Kings of Columbus. All right, we are back in the rapid, rapid fire part of this Kings of Columbus. Bill Landis from Matt. I haven't heard much this week about the offensive line in general and Josh Simmons in particular. Is he doing his job? That's Matt in Skokie. How's Josh Simmons playing? I think he's played better week to week. Uh, pass protection has been pretty good. Run blocking, I still see some stuff that makes me a little nervous. All right. When was the last non-conference game like this? This is Scott. When was the last time Ohio State played in a non-conference road game in the north as big as this trip to South Bend? And we are we definitely are starting to get questions like people you know, getting the gist of we want to talk about northern football at times, and I appreciate that. This is they should have done this in 2020. The, the Oregon trip was on the schedule and it got whacked by COVID. So that would have been an equivalent of this, right? That mm-hmm. would have been pretty cool. Everybody was looking forward to that. I remember covering the game at Washington, which was a cool game in 07. That was Jake Locker, I think, at quarterback for Washington, but it wasn't like quite this level of game. Ohio State won that one 33 to 14. And then I do think I I do think you might. In terms of the North, you're probably back into the 90s then in terms of games really like this. In 1994, they went to Washington. Ohio State was ranked 18th. Washington was 25th. Ohio State lost that game. In 86, they went to Washington. In week two, Ohio State was 10th. Washington was 17th. Washington won 40-7. to That wasn't great for Ohio State. In uh, 1988, they went to Pitt. Ohio State was number 18 and lost 42-10 to at Pitt. And in 1998, they went to West Virginia and lost 34-17. So, like, hearing all those, Landis, I like those trips like that at Pitt, at West Virginia, at Oregon. But probably the answer is there hasn't been quite a non-conference road game in the North like this for Ohio State since they went to Notre Dame in 96. Because how can anyone match up to Notre Dame? Yeah, I was. I'm looking now at... Um... The last time Ohio State and Penn State played before Penn State joined the oh, Big Ten. Yeah. Uh, 1976, number two Ohio State traveled to number seven Penn State. Ooh, that was probably a slobber knocker. It was like 12-7. I think I just saw the score was. I like it. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, this is, this is the kind of thing that uh, doesn't happen all that much. So, enjoy it while it is happening. 
Lucas. Love to have Lucas on the text. We've uh, was part of it. He was part of it before with me, and now he's back. Is Tommy Eichenberg the ultimate X factor in this game? Stopping Audric Estime getting home when blitzing Hartman. I, I am looking forward to some Estime Eichenberg collisions in the hole. No, yeah, I am too. I think I think those could be pretty entertaining. He, Tommy's very important. Um, I think, as we've stated earlier, I think Michael Hall is more of the X factor in this game. But obviously, you want your linebackers playing sound against a team that's going to run as much and try to play action. Yeah? This is Charles, who's an Ohio guy now raising his family in Birmingham, Alabama. He loves living there. The football culture is fun. Everywhere you go, the chances that someone will talk to you about football. But I'm a Buckeye, and living here has had this uh, burnishing effect on my identity. I am the Ohio guy, and I will die the Ohio guy. I effing hate the SEC. (laughs) Anyway, here's my question. Are the Buckeyes get setting up a personnel package that looks really heavy but can actually still be deployed in spread? He's talking about two running backs, two tight ends, but then you you know you have that personnel and then you line up G. Scott and Cade Stover outside and put Trivion in space. What do you think of like a a twenty two package that looks heavy but then is still spreading people out? Yeah, I I could see it. They've done um, and it was mostly last week. I took notice of it. They did a few plays where. G Scott was out wide and Cade Stover was in tight to the formation, but then he did like people are like freaking out of the Miami Dolphins using Tyreek Hill on like this fast like exit motion. I think they were calling it where like yeah. right before the snap he sprints out of the formation. It's not quite the same thing when you do it with Cade Stover, but they were doing it with Cade Stover on a few screen plays. It's were, not there's a difference between Cade Stover and Tyreek Hill. You're there's saying? a slight there's a slight difference. Um but anyway, so like they use G as a blocker who's already out wide. They've run Cade out there who's running out there to be a blocker for a potential screen, I can definitely see a scenario where they bluff that screen and either G or K just takes off up the field and he's like wide open for a, a long, a long play. Oh, I want that to happen now because I want it to be the play of the week. You've been doing play of, plays of the week for our tech subscribers where you're breaking down little things on video. You, you like doing that? I love doing that. I think I got to figure it out and the feedback has been good. So yeah, it's fun. I'm going to keep doing more of it. All right. 614-662-4509. That's one of the things you get as a tech subscriber. All right. This is embarrassing. It's a fr- embarrassing for me, not for Carl. Because I caused this, I think. I feel that Ohio State has struggled on grass since going back to turf at the shoe. The fact that Notre Dame now has turf makes me less worried about the game. I may be wrong, but what are your thoughts on Meyer and Day and those Buckeyes on grass versus turf? I can think of a couple of big game losses on grass. So let me... It's really not Carl's fault because I read the question wrong and I did some amazing research Mm. about Ohio State's struggles on grass and they are real. Their points per game, their losses on grass. Now, they don't play on grass a ton in the regular season and they happen to play some good defenses on the road that play on grass, right? Iowa, Mm -hmm. Penn State, but they've also had some games like at Purdue, at Michigan State that have not been great offensively. Because I was like, oh, yeah, Notre Dame's on grass. I looked at the field. I stood next to the field. I took a picture of it. They switched to turf in 2014. I will blow your mind with grass stats. <laughs> Put that in the play list, playlist. Blow your mind with grass stats. I, should I give them to you or no? Or are they irrelevant? I did so much work. I mean, they're not relevant to this game, I, I guess. But if you want to, since you did the work, sure. Okay, here's here's the bottom line. Under since Ryan Day became the offensive coordinator, Ohio State scores at least 30 points when they play on turf 90% of the time 
and they score at least 30 points when they play on grass 44% of the time. Mm. That's the main thing. There's so much more work. All of it irrelevant. From 2014, Matt. Ohio State uh, played a heck of a game on grass at Michigan State. So they can play well on grass too. They can. That was the greatest game, JT. JT Barrett was it was in the zone on that night. I'll never forget it. Yeah. Matt, how soon into the game do we think we'll see a replay of Joey Bosa getting ejected for targeting in the 2016 <laughs> Fiesta? Bowl? Uh will they show it? I don't know that they'll show it. I don't think we'll see one. I do there are some fun things you can show because right, the the Troy Smith, AJ Hawk, Brady Quinn game after the 2005 season that bowl game's good I mean, we're talking about uh the fiesta bowl after the 2015 season where Ohio state beat notre dame like there's some famous guys that they can show ted Ginn jr i think had 167 receiving yards against notre dame in that bowl game so um you know the, the eddie george picture against yeah. notre dame there have been some big time we'll ohio that. state dudes that have played against notre dame that if they just want to get people jacked up there's gonna be certainly a lot of opportunities for that yeah, there will be. I don't. Maybe they will show it. I don't know. And it's still photo. I don't know how it comes across. I think we're unlikely to see it unless they showed it last year. And I'm forgetting. This is Joe. If you could switch one player from Notre Dame's roster with an Ohio State player for this game, who would it be and why? Joe. I Walt. don't want to be hyperbolic, <laughs> but I think if Ohio State had Joe Alt, they'd win the national championship. Yeah. Like right. no, like that'd be it. That'd be it. That's the answer. Yeah, it's not even close. He's the best left tackle in college football, and it's Ohio State's. Uh, most curious, mm. not concerning, but most curious position, right? Uh, yeah, cur- yeah, curious is a nice way to put it. Yep, yeah, we did, we did 110 minutes in the preseason where I was more than curious. This is Josh. I'd like to hear your thoughts on my own theory on Dallin Hayden's playing time. I think the reason he hasn't played is because he knows he will be back next year and he knows the current top three guys will probably be gone, so he's not worried about playing time this year. Do you agree, Landis? Uh, I don't think Dallin Hayden's playing time is a Dallin Hayden decision. Um, if that's the, if that's what you meant by that. like, I, I think the coaching staff looks at him as a guy who could be the starter next year. Um, I think he's not playing because Travion Henderson is healthy and playing well and chip Trainum and Maya Williams are also good. And like, I like down a lot. There were times last year where I thought down was the best running back. A part of that was because Maya Williams and Travion Henderson weren't healthy. Um, I do think there is a world where Dallin Hayden can help this offense. Absolutely. And I'd like to see it, but I don't think the, his lack of playing time is like, Oh, we'll just wait till next year. Kind of deal. I just think like he's fourth in a five man room right now. And it was just, there were so many things that happened to get him playing time last year. doesn't mean anything's guaranteed for this year. So he's not behind the idea. He just, we had a sneak peek of him Mm -hmm. that nobody ever expected, but that Dallin Hayden is one of their primary ball carriers in 2024 in year three of his, career at Ohio State is very normal and makes a lot of sense. So yeah. I, I I I understand what Josh is saying. I understand what you're saying, but I think like it's just normal and it's all good. Let's talk about Travion. This is Robert. Sorry. I just My sneeze. biggest concern is uh, day with the game plan. And then uh, he's a little worried about Travion Henderson. I still don't get the fascination with Travion Henderson. I love four out of our five backs, but he's still wondering about Travion. So just let me drop this stat about Travion. He's been good in space, but when I was looking up like yards after contact for the running backs this year, where Audric Estime is 4.7 yards after contact, Trip Trainum is 
Trevion Henderson is 2.9. Yeah. Last year, he was 2.7. As a freshman, he was 4.3. So I like him more in space, right? Wide runs, hit a cutback lane, throw him swing passes. That's him at his best. I don't need him running through 100 tackles. But if you think you want to line up and be physical and run at Notre Dame in an equal talent game, I don't know if he's your guy. Um, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I like Trevion is explosive. Um, that is, that is his extraordinary trait. He is his ability to get the ball in space and take it 70 yards on you. Like literally at any time I have, I have likewise questioned his ability to, um, make guys miss, especially in the first and first level of the defense. Like, I, I think there's still some hesitancy there when he's running between the tackles and he, I think runs to contact in a way that does not help him get the most out of out of run plays particularly more interior oriented runs but when it's blocked up for him and he goes to the right place immediately he is hard to track down um and that's why he plays a lot Uh, and i could see maybe a scenario this week where ohio state comes around on the idea where maybe they are more interested in having chip in mind just sort of run for four four yards pop every time they line up rather than take the the boomer bust potential that sometimes i think you get with travion but it's hard for me to not give Travy on the ball when he's looking as explosive as he looks right now. Like I think he's like at minimum he needs to get a dozen touches every game. And I guess we could look at the stat. What is Travy on yards with no contact? That's what he's about. Like yeah. give me a hole and let me explode through it like I have a jet pack tied to my back. Right. Um, he did. It was small samples. I think he only had to do it like two or three times. But against Western Kentucky when he had to run through a tackle, he did it, which I thought was encouraging. Matthew, how concerned should we be about the tight end room? I love that we are throwing it to them, but suddenly the blocking has regressed. I think you have some tight end blocking thoughts, Landis. Yeah, I think they should stop asking Kate Stover to block in space. I think that is the majority of the angst that that is associated with this position. Inline blocking, I think, has been okay. It could definitely be better. Um, I think G. Scott maybe should play a little more. He, I think he is blocking a little better than Kate Stover right now. And I think he probably gives you as much as a receiver as, as Kate does. Um, it's good that they're, they have these outlets and can get these guys in space and they can do something with the ball in their hands. But um, I question sometimes the way they, they try to, to use them. And there were definitely plays last week and just thinking back on it, like where they, the perimeter blocking was good. Um, but there were a couple egregious ones where it was it was just bad, and, and Kate Stover's blocking when he's asked to do anything other than block in line, I, I think, is is a little troublesome at times. So I'm not concerned about the position necessarily, but um, I see the same things that everybody else sees. I think it's more a matter of of how they're trying to use them sometimes. This is Andrew. I know we take PFF with a grain of salt, but any thoughts on Jack Sawyer and JT Tuimolo's grades last week? It seems like overall you guys were fairly uninspired by their performance. But I believe PFF had them as the two highest rated ends this week. Thanks. Uh, I said that I thought that was the best game I saw Jack Sawyer play, and I thought JT was also good. So um, I I was uh, uninspired. I think does not apply to me. I thought they both played great. I don't care about PFF grades. I think they're um, some of the individual stats they keep are are noteworthy, and like the pressures in that game were good. So, and I thought they affected the quarterback. So, I thought it was a great game for both of them, and and they're going to need to play their best game this week. This is from Dave, who saw that I was in South Bend doing that live hit on Monday. If you're searching for some great Italian food while in South Bend, try Cosimo and Susie's. You'll thank me later. So, that's a food suggestion uh, for the people because we're not there anymore we always appreciate those suggestions 
This is Craig from the 937. Any chance the podcast will have a tailgate for the Notre Dame game? My wife and I are going to be there, and we would love to hang out with some Buckeye friends. So uh, this is on Berman Austin because, once again, we are not going, Landis. We're not, but I'll, I'll put Austin's cell phone number up on the screen here, and Wait. you guys can call him and, and figure out to meet up. Uh, no, we're not doing that. I think you know we'd love to do something like that someday. Um, on, on short notice, we're not going to be doing it here, but uh, long term, I think those kind of things are, are, are stuff we'd like to do. Are you sad that you're not going? Yes, this is, is the only. Bad? Yeah, this is the this is the only game this year. I think that I'm sad that I'm not going to, just because I've never been there before. Yeah, I've never been there before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, did college radio when I was at Northwestern for Northwestern's visit to Notre Dame. I was speaking about the other day. I think I misspoke. It was the fall of 1993. And it was the North, the Northwestern opener, and uh, one of my very best friends and I went and uh, did the game in South Bend, and just a great experience for like a twenty year old kid to do like a, a live call in, in Notre Dame Stadium. And we got home and found out that like the person working the board had not turned the transponder on, so not a single person <laughs> heard it. So we just did it for ourselves, which maybe is better. If you was it at least recorded somewhere? Like, does it exist? Or like, no, you, you were just talking into the void. It exists only. Yeah. Only in my mind. Wow. This this is Andrew. A comment on the last game. The smile on Devin Brown's face when he threw that touchdown pass was more than reassuring that he won't transfer out before he gets his shot. This is a constant conversation, I think, in any quarterback battle. I don't like talking about transfers because these are individual kids and these are their lives. But I think in a quarterback battle, we understand the realities and it's more, I'm okay with it. Um what are your thoughts on that generally with Devin? Um, I thought it was cool to see Devin be, you know, very happy about the way that that play played out. And then also for like him and Kyle to celebrate it on the sideline. I thought was, I thought was nice to see. I don't know that I read into it any more than that. Um, he'll have a decision to make after this year, especially if Kyle McCord decides he wants to come back. I know that Devin has said he wants to be here for the long haul. And it's like not a situation where like, I'm going to hold that against him. If he decides he wants to do something else, these are complicated uh, matters. So we'll see. I could, I could see it going either way, I guess. I'm not particularly concerned about it, um, but it's something to keep in the back of your mind, I suppose. So like Kyle McCord's path was very normal. Sit for two years, play in year three. If Kyle McCord has a great year and goes pro, and then Devin Brown would be on that path, sit for two years and play in year three, that's very normal. Mm -hmm. Sit for three years and play in year four is tough. Yes, especially now because you know, when he gets into a game, I think Ryan Day is going to let him do some stuff, and like there, there will be enough there for teams to be like, oh, that looks interesting, and like he'll have options, I think. It's just, it's just hard, yeah. especially for a guy who is highly recruited and has skills. That's just a, a hard reality to think. It's not the plan for me to be a starter for three years, so I think everybody understands that. Yep. All right, last couple before we get to watch you. This is Chris. Why is it that we are always the team that has to prove we deserve to be here? Not to Vegas and the betting lines, but to everybody else. The media and Notre Dame fans all but have this game wrapped up for the Irish. Is it because everyone that isn't an Ohio State fan just wants us to lose? Am I on Twitter too much? <laughs> this program gets no respect outside of the beat, it feels like. So I think Joel Klatt kind of went off this week about like lack of respect for Ohio State. I didn't see everything. I, I do know that I think Joel was making a point. If Ohio State was tied at 10 going into the fourth quarter against Wyoming, people would freak out which he's referencing what Texas was. And all I would say is like, I was freaking out about Texas. So right. I, 
I think sometimes, how do we say this? I think my general view is the standard at Ohio State is super high. The standard at Ohio State, I think nationally, is as high as any, is higher than any program except Alabama and Georgia right now. So they have the highest level of standard. And as much as they've been a tier one program, they don't have as many national titles as Alabama and Georgia. The Alabama length of run under Saban and Georgia the last two years. So they are at the highest standard and they don't hit it as much as the other teams at their standard. And so then it can feel like nobody respects Ohio State, but the respect is actually applying the same standard to Ohio State that gets applied to Georgia and Alabama. The standard at Texas right now isn't anywhere close to the standard at Ohio State. So people watch Texas play Wyoming 10-10 entering the fourth, and they're like, yeah, I freaked out. Yeah. I thought it was a sign of something not good. But I think it's that. I actually think the lack of respect comes from the respect, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think it does. I think that the same thing is probably true about Michigan, right? I don't I don't think people hold Michigan in that same regard either. So when Michigan is messing around with BG, you don't hear a lot of like, oh, what's wrong with Michigan going on in the national media? Right. Because they like figured it out in the in the end the wind is comfortable. But like the second Ohio State looks vulnerable, everyone talks about it. Yes. So it is an odd burden. It remains the fact that Ohio State is a unique lens in which to view college football because they are a northern team with southern standards. And they're the only one, which is why they're super interesting to talk about. But if you feel that as an Ohio State fan, understand that it it comes from a baseline of respect, but it's hard to be Bama. Last one. This is Alex. And again, if you are leaning in to the northern aspect of this, thank you so much. This Wednesday show is Kings of Columbus. It really focuses on Ohio State. The Monday show that Landis and I do is Kings of the North. It focuses on the broader context of the 28 northern college football teams that we talk about. But Alex is asking, what would an Ohio State win on Saturday need to look like in order for the Buckeyes to be the number one team in the North next week? Washington is currently in that spot. Michigan is second. I believe we had Ohio State fifth this week, Landis. I think it just needs to look like a win. Like if they win, they should be number one in the North? I think so. Who has so a, more, who would have those, a more impressive win than that? So I am not voting in our North rankings the way I vote in the AP poll. I'm not doing a straight resume ranking. I'm viewing it more as like a power poll, mm-hmm. right? You know what I mean? Yep. So from a power poll, I want them to be – they would need to be dominant. Because I do think like Washington is still looks dominant offensively to me. But as we noted with Washington, Michigan's defense is better. So Ohio State's offense doesn't have to be as good as Washington's offense, but they then have to be like pretty close to dominant on both sides of the ball. But I certainly will entertain it if they win. I will entertain yeah. it, but I won't guarantee it. I mean, I guess if they win like 10 7, that's a different conversation. But if, yeah, if they win and look like Ohio State, I think they're number one in the North. All right. You'll have to come back next Monday and check it out. For now, that's the football discussion when we come back. We'll rip off what you're watching, what you're eating, what you're thinking on Kings of Columbus. All right, Landis, that was a lot of football talk. You tired? Feeling it? It's, I, it's been it's been a minute since we've since I have been part of a classic two hour pod. So Yeah, it is classic, right? It's classic. Yeah, it's it's not long and boring, right? It's just classic. I know it's good. It's a big game. Football. Man. It deserves it. All right, let's hit on this quick. What you eating lately? I couldn't remember what I wanted to talk about. Um, so I'll just say this. Um, 
and I, I, I hesitate to even say the name of this establishment out loud because I just think it's a ridiculous name. But there's a breakfast place in Grandview called the Brecky Shack. That is like, I guess, like an Australian themed thing. I, I have no idea. The menu seems pretty quintessential American breakfast fare. But anyway, um, I had their food for the first time. I got a cinnamon roll there, and I think they are now number one on my Columbus cinnamon roll rankings. Oh, man, that will be an off season show for sure. Yeah. And then we can do it live. There are other people on the cinnamon roll rankings, though. It's not a list of one. It is not a list of one. Um, I think previously number one was probably Fox in the Snow. Um, they are now number two, and uh, Kitties is number three for me. No Cinnabon, right? You ranking Cinnabon on there? I mean, Cinnabon's delicious, but I'm not ranking them. They're not. They're not. They're not. You know, purely Columbus establishment. Yeah. Okay, I respect it. So I uh, was in Chicago over the weekend, then I stopped in South Bend on Monday, and when I got my dinner on Sunday night, there was like Portillos, right? It's like the love it. Oh. So I, I had. I don't know that I'd eaten there before. And so I got an, a, an Italian beef sandwich, and you can ask for it like dry or like regular or uh, super wet. I don't know what the numbers are, but I asked for it dry. And I, I got it, and I walked back to my hotel room, and I got it out. And it was like they had thrown the sandwich in a pool. <laughs> it was so wet. Every inch of the bun was soaking wet. And now I'm sitting... I'm doing research because we're getting ready to record Kings of the North on Sunday night, and I'm worried that I'm dripping juice in my keyboard. It is everywhere. And this I this is the dry version. And I don't have, I guess, a ton of experience with Italian beef, Chicago, whatever, beef sandwiches. Why are the buns so wet? Who thinks that a soaking wet bun logistically and just from a deliciousness standpoint, is where you want to be. I mean, I, I, I'm a fan of the Chicago beef sandwich. I, I prefer mine to be a little on the on the soggier side. You got to eat it faster, I think, so like it doesn't totally fall apart on you. I but walked I, it back to my hotel. It took me four minutes to get to the hotel. Yeah, I think you got to sit. You got to sit there at the place. You got to you got to make sure you're in a good position. You got to like hunch over whatever you're eating on, and like make sure all the drippings fall where they need to fall, and not all over you. Um, it's a, it's it's you got to be dedicated, I think, to want to eat to eat one of them. But I think it's a delicious sandwich. Did you get a uh, hot jardinero on it or what? I got some hot. Yeah, I got some yeah. hot on there. Yeah. But let me ask: if someone says to you, "How is your food?" and you say, "Oh, it's soggy," is that a compliment? Like, are there a lot of people like, "What do you?" I just I want something soggy tonight. I th- no, probably not as no, not generally. But I think that is that is part of the charm of the Chicago beef part sandwich. Of the charm. Yeah. I don't know, man. There I is a. I, to, I I love bread. I had to throw away like two thirds of the bun because it was <clears throat> soaking wet. There's a place in Chicago um, that I've gone to the last two times I was I've been there with uh, once with Austin and Burma, once with Austin. It's called Buona Beef, which is a great name. But they have, uh, I think they're called Buona Beef Balls, and they're like what you know, like the little ri- the rice balls you can get. That's like yeah. arancini. Is that what it's called? They have like a version of that, but inside is beef and jardinier. And it is fantastic. And they serve it with a little side of marinara to dip it in. They're so good. And they don't wrap it in soggy bread? It's not soggy. No. Oh. It's like a crispy, crispy outside. And then oh, crispy. Yeah. That's all a the, good word to associate with food. Yeah. Instead of soggy. Better than soggy. Yeah. All right. What are you watching? I started. So my favorite television show of all time is Justified. And I'm not saying it's the best show of all time. It's just my personal favorite. And they had a like a one-off 
I guess a spinoff series that was on Hulu slash FX earlier this year that has been completed for a long time, but I wanted to wait to watch it until the episodes were available. And then when I felt like I had time to actually get into it, so it's called Justified City Primeval. Uh, it it takes the show, it takes some of the characters, mainly the main guy, Raylan Givens, out of Kentucky, where the main season of Justified took place, and puts him in Detroit, which is um, where Elmore Leonard, who like wrote the books and, and created the character of Raylan Givens, like is from and set a lot of his stuff. Um, and it's very good. I watched three episodes of it uh, last night, actually, and uh, I'm enjoying it so far. It's it's if you are like if you were a fan of Justified and you were missing it. And mostly just wanted to like see Raylan Givens back in your life again. I think it delivers. I find Timothy Oliphant charming. So do I, I have, yeah, I have not ever gotten into Justified. Is do I have to punch through a wall a little bit? I think I watched the first ten minutes of the pilot. The pilot's a little rough, I think, um, and and part of it is because they made some decisions to basically like change the trajectory of the series after the pilot and how well some characters tested. So I think if you can get past the pilot and maybe the first couple episodes, it's pretty good. Um, the second season of justified, I think is fantastic. Okay. And, and all of it, I think is very good, but I likewise, yeah, Tim, Tim Oliphant is a, is a, he's a man crush of mine for sure. Yeah. All yeah. right. I'll punch through. So mine is actually a podcast that, uh, my daughter and I just ended up doing a lot of drives this summer and we listened to it. Listen, it was a true crime, true crime podcast. We don't listen to a ton of those, but, uh, it was called Bone Valley because like the area where it happened was a place where there were like a lot of dinosaur bones. Um, but it was hard for me to listen to a podcast. It's a very serious subject. It's basically a guy who's wrong and convicted and has been in jail for a murder for like 35 years. And they're over the course of it, they pretty much show that like he almost certainly didn't do it. But they keep every time it comes like it's like next on Bone Valley. And like every time anything happens that they're talking about this very serious subject, I just would like interrupt and say like, and then I took him to Bone Valley. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, I'm going to take you to Bone Valley. And it's like, I don't <laughs> think that that's what I just think there should be a better name yeah. of the podcast. And I don't want to give it away. But beyond Bone Valley, I also just want to say that when you make a podcast like that, it's very interesting because. From a true crime perspective, it felt like they were trying to tell a good story and like find the answer. But then the, I think the other part of it is you're trying to right a wrong. But when you make a good podcast, you maybe can like do the research and find the answer, but you don't know if you're going to right the wrong or not. Right. And it does. It's a little odd to consume Bone Valley as a piece of content, but understand that this is a person's life and you don't know if the wrong is actually going to be righted. And it's not just entertainment. It's like real stuff. Yeah, like real life suspense. That is a distracting name. Bone. Yeah. Yeah. I won't say it. Six times was enough. Bone. It is distracting. And it's there's very little bones in it. There's not a lot of bone discussion. <laughs> so anyway, uh, it was pretty good though. It was, it was, it wasn't a 10 out of 10, but it was pretty good if you if you like true crime podcasts, I maybe would suggest Bone Valley. We're over to did you think hard? Do you have a lot of thinking that you want to give to the people or should we skip the thinking this week? Uh, I just have one simple question. Um, am I, am I a bad person? If I think we should do away with the paper straws. Oh, Oh, that people are going to get fired up about this. Give me your, why we should do away with paper straws real quick. Um, 
just the inconvenience of them or, or, or can we do something to make them better like i i i i am behind the cause of why they need to exist i love a sea turtle as much as the next guy but um i don't i twice this in the past week in columbus ohio of all places i have found myself with with a having to use a, a paper straw i almost expect it now when i go to like to beach towns and i'm like near the ocean yeah and like we were in hawaii it was like only paper straws in california i think it's mostly only paper straws like i get it here less so um and again I understand why we use them. I just think we need to make, we need to get, get our best engineers on it and make sure these things don't fall apart as fast as they do. So I will say it does seem like the younger generation is very accustomed to carrying around a water bottle now, right? Mm -hmm. That's like a very normal thing. I do think the next iteration of that, and we have some of these in our house is like a metal straw. Yes. And, and it's like, okay, you don't like the paper straw, but you don't want to stick a plastic straw in a sea turtle's eyeball. So what do you do? And it's like, don't worry. Whoop! Brought my own straw. Brought my own metal straw. And you just walk around with the metal straw in your pocket all day. But I also think there could be some jabbing things that could happen if you do that. So it's yeah, dangerous. Yeah, like you get but lint on your metal straw. Like I don't like like my my wife has a metal straw that like we have here in the house that she uses sometimes. But like, where am I going to carry a metal straw? I don't know. Could you put it behind your ear? <laughs> make it look professorial. <laughs> I don't know because you got to be careful. You can make a chain and just like have it dangling around your neck at yeah. all times, and then you wouldn't even have to take it off. You could just like, <laughs> like put your neck down and like put your. You'd be lowering your neck into your drink every time. There's there's possibilities there, but I I would in the end consider the sea turtle. That's fair. I do love a sea turtle. Yeah, they're majestic creatures. They all are. right, thanks to you guys for making uh, Kings of Columbus part of your week. We went long on this one. Uh, because it's a big game and it's important and we're going to continue our coverage here on the podcast if you're listening on the podcast feed man we love you thanks so much for doing it if you're watching on the youtube show man we love you thanks for doing it and if you're a tech subscriber man that's awesome too 614-662-4509 two-week free trial we're just having a great time we're so appreciative that you guys are letting us do this and uh we're super pumped for the post game show find us on, on the YouTube channel live right after the game on Saturday. Find us. We'll be up in the middle of the night. Like We'll be on at what, like 1045 at night, 11 p.m.? We're going yeah. to be doing it right when the game ends, talking about everything you saw. If you care about the game, we think our post-game show is the place you should be. So we'll see you there. For now, for Bill Landis, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Kings of Columbus. <laughs>